And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We broadcast live each and every day, uh, 7 to 10 p.m. here from our radio and television studios in northwest Pennsylvania. My name is Joe Hagman. I'm the co-host, along with my father, Doug Hagman, who is gone. No, he, uh, he's got, he's doing some work, um, doing some, some videos and some investigative reports that he's been working on. And folks, if you want to, want to see some of those investigative reports, um, Go to HagmanReport.com, HagmanReport.com. We got some interesting content up there today. Not only will you find the latest video my father has done about exposing uh, voter fraud exposed, uh, there are articles up there from uh, John Rappaport, from other important uh, news stories across the Internet, as well as uh, Stephen Menking, Dow 20,000, a few observations. He's going to be with us. Uh, Stephen Menking from the Amateur Society will be joining us here uh, just in a few minutes, about 10, 15 minutes, and we have a great show lined up for you. We're going to be talking with with Mr. Menking about a number of issues, um, the stock market hitting 20,000, uh, his new podcast, what's going on with the Amateur Society, the precious metals, um, what he expects in the future with the Trump administration, as well as um, other questions that we can fit in that, with the time that he is with us. Because after Mr. Menking um, is done from hours two and three, we're going to be joined by uh, first-time guest, Pastor Keith Iden from foodsurvivalstore.com. He's also an author of The Prepper and the Preacher, A Spiritual Survival Guide. So it's going to be a uh, fantastic show, informative show, and we're going we're gonna to jump right in now again. If you want to see uh, the latest investigative piece that my my dad has done, Voter Fraud Exists, an investigative report that's there on thehagmanreport.com. And we got some news we're going to cover here in the first uh, few minutes as um, the Trump administration continues to uh, work at a fever pace, uh, at least compared to many other presidents, and it continues to draw a lot of (laughs) negative uh, press, uh, you know, they, the press, for those of you who've been watching, we don't have to say this to you, but maybe people who are new who have not been paying attention, the uh, media has been in full-blown attack mode coming against Donald Trump, coming against his decision to the point of, at least in my opinion, to the point of ridiculousness and insanity, not even making sense in half of the arguments they make against him. We were watching a video uh, in the studio today. Um, it was a Mark Dice video. And, it, you know, um, he was poking fun at the media, and, and for good cause. Uh, apparently the media was uh, from NBC to MSNBC to CNN uh, got upset because Trump did not wave to the press while getting on Air Force One, and he ditched the press to go to dinner. And they were talking about the media. They The media were talking about how it was already show, showing the lack of transparency in the Trump administration by not including the press or, or ditching the press when going to dinner. But that's not even the worst of it. We're going to cover um, a few stories, one from the Daily Caller 
that I came across today, which um, it's a good place to start, in my opinion. And I will post this story on the website during the show sometime tonight. But, folks, if you want to look at the article for yourself, New York Times editorial board horrified that Trump wants to fight radical Islamic terror. Now, follow along with me while I go through this article. It's not that long because we're going to get into what's wrong with this picture after we get through this. The New York Times editorial board took a stand Thursday against President Donald Trump's vow to eradicate radical Islamic terrorism from the face of the earth. I'm going to read that again. The New York Times editorial board took a stand Thursday against President Donald Trump's vow to eradicate radical Islamic terrorism from the face of the earth. Yes, you heard me right. The New York Times editorial board has a big problem with Donald Trump's fight to eradicate Islamic extreme Islamic terrorism from our country and from the world. They don't like that, apparently. The article goes on to talk about uh, the Times editors worried that Trump's approach to fighting radical Islamic terrorism, which they referred to with scarce quotes, is more likely to further inflame the anti-American sentiment around the world than to make the United States safer. The emerging details suggest that Mr. Trump's plan to eradicate violent extremists are not only at odds with Mr. Obama's, they trample on American values and international law. Again, I'm going to read this again because this is important. (laughs) What they're saying here is that uh, Mr. Trump's plan to eradicate violent extremists is not only different and at odds with Mr. Obama's, it tramples on American values and international law. Continuing. The Times editorial found several problems with Trump's approach, including his use of the term radical Islam, which the editors say is demonizing and alienating the world's 1.6 billion Muslims. The fact that he is reportedly considering uh, designating the Muslim Brotherhood a terrorist organization and the fact that he does not plan on closing Guantanamo Bay, which Obama was unable to do despite vowing to close the prison on day one of his administration, the editors expressed its support for Obama's approach to fighting terrorism. Unlike Trump, Obama declined to say radical Islamic terror, even once during his administration, which lasted eight years. Trump has claimed the Obama administration's politically correct approach to fighting terrorism is at least partially to blame for the slew of domestic terrorist attacks during the Obama years. What's wrong with this picture? (laughs) Well, where do we begin? Let's go um, and, and just a brief rundown. So the New York Times editorial board is upset at Donald Trump's approach to fighting terrorism. At one, calling it radical Islamic terrorism. This is what they, in their own words, um, they even say the use of the term radical Islam is demonizing and alienating the rest of the Muslim world. So what they're saying is let's not provoke the radical Islamic extremists by calling them what they are. That's number one. And two, they're saying that if you are fighting an enemy, one, you don't identify it, and two, you're going after it might spark more outrage from that same group. It's like saying to the FBI... Don't go after the mafia, because if you do, 
there's going to be payback. So what what are the options? Just let the don't don't identify the enemy by name or at least a name that they don't like. Don't go after the enemy or the bully because it could be worse off for you. I almost think that the the media, whether it's the New York Times, whether it's CNN, these mainstream liberal mouthpieces, because that's all they really are, um, you know, creating their own spin, anything to to point to to portray Trump in a negative light and his policies, his politics, and his administration's actions in a negative light. It doesn't matter. He could, <coughs> excuse me, he could issue an executive order giving every you know, mainstream media outlet a billion dollars. Would they spend that in a negative light? I believe they would. Because it doesn't matter what Trump does. The media has shown they are going to, to hate him. They're going to do everything they can to demonize him. But what's different about, um, you know, the media is demonizing Trump constantly when it comes to policies versus Trump's policies on keeping our nation safe, national security, and terrorism, is that what the New York Times is doing is showing who they really are and who they really support. To criticize a, a person uh, in power for calling the enemy for what it is, something the last administration would not do, and many said it was due to political correctness, I'm starting to disagree with the political correctness part. I think the political correctness um, excuse was used as a cover just to be able to not, you know, point out that it is radical Islam um, that is committing these terrorist attacks. I mean, they're complaining about designating the Muslim Brotherhood as a terrorist organization. And then they take it a step further. They say, the emerging details suggest Mr. Trump's plan to eradicate violent extremists are not only at odds with Obama's, they trample on American values and international law. Since when in our history, or where is it stated in our values that we are not to identify the enemy, that we are not to protect ourselves from that enemy? How is that un-American? I guess I'm posing that question to the people at the New York Times. What would you have us do? Lay down? play dead hide in the dark from you know the boogeyman it doesn't make any sense which brings me back to what I said before it seems as though no matter what Trump does or the Trump administration we see the rampant insane unlogical attacks against him regardless of what it is he, he is to do and it to to disregard and say we we can't call them radical Islamic terrorists, and it's because it's going to inflame anti-American sentiment. We can't go after the terrorists because it's un-American. It violates international law. Forget international law. I want to see where in international law it says you must uh, you know call call the enemy by what they designate themselves as, and you must uh, you know. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And we're going to move on because I spent too much time on that story. Um, again, folks, when you go to Hagman Report, our website, and you go through the news, if you go to the bottom, um, we have investigative findings that are um, 
exclusive to the Hagman Report. And then if you continue to scroll down, there's featured content, which is a lot of um, contributors, guests of the show who have websites, who write articles, as well as in the bottom section, the news, it shows about six blocks, six different stories. Under that, you can click load more. And usually, in a day, we have uh, much more than than six stories. So make sure that you uh, continue to to check that, as a lot of the stories from, our again, our contributors and our guests are on there. Um, moving on, because we only have a few minutes now before uh, Mr. Manking will be joining us. And, Eric, you'll give me the cue, correct? Because I can't see the screen. Thank you. Okay. Um, this story is a few days old, but I want to make sure I, I touch on this because this is going to continue to play into the narrative of the liberal hypocrisy and insanity or the left wing's insanity. Two days ago, on the 24th, Nancy Pelosi, you're going to like this. This is what Pelosi said. Democrats do the Lord's work. Republicans dishonor God. That's uh, on our on our website. Um, and the, the article goes on to say, yet another example of moral narcissism, which is exactly what this is, and the liberals' inability to understand conservative positions on faith, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi declared that her party, the Democratic Party, does the will of God, while Republicans dishonor their creator. Now, what part of the Democratic institution does the will of God? Is it the incessant uh, need for abortions and, and uh, ritualistic baby killings? Is it the shoving what you perceive to be moral down everybody else's throat? Is it making us accept um you know, 30-some different gender identities. I wish you would be more specific, other than referencing climate change, as to what exactly is doing God's will. And But she doesn't even just say the Democrats are doing the will of God. She goes on to cr- criticize all Republicans as dishonoring their creator. And let me ask uh, Pelosi, is it the, the ones who, who are pro-life, who want uh, to keep you know, people outside of the Planned Parenthood who want to defund Planned Parenthood? Is it those people who want to protect, uh, you know, innocent people, regardless of who they are in the Middle East, from being slaughtered by, by terrorists? You can tell that the New York Times editorial board's doing the work of God. Don't call them radical Islamic extremists, or they might retaliate. Again, which goes back to the theme, the liberal insanity, the liberal hypocrisy in the party, in the media, in the base of their, all their voters, not all their voters, many of their more outspoken uh, people that we've seen protesting, taking to Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, to cry, to be angry, to protest you know, Donald Trump. It's even gotten so bad, Mayor de Blasio, in another story, and we have our guest with us, so I'm just going to hit on this title, and then we're going to go to our guest, Stephen Menking. Mayor de Blasio today even said that Trump's immigration policies are going to hurt the safety of New York. It's going to make it less safe. If you deport the criminal illegal aliens, New York will be less safe. I don't think any of the stories, the three stories I talked about, made any sense if you have been paying attention, at least from from where I'm sitting. But we'll get back to this later. Um, from the Amateur Society, Mr. Economist Stephen Menking. Stephen, welcome back to the Hagman Report. Hey, Joe, thanks for having me. How's my audio? Can you see me? How's the hair looking? What's going on? Hair looks great. Audio is fantastic. Oh, 
And I just uh, got out of makeup. It's it's perfect. I'm ready to rock. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say a nice quick hello to the five trolls who downvoted the YouTube video before the broadcast even started. Gotta Keep up the good that. work, you guys. Yeah. And whether you're web bots or not, you guys are losing. So, you know, enjoy it. Enjoy it while you got it. Uh, Eric, you know, we can work on getting some uh, green screen fabric back here. Next time we got to create some uh, Mr. Robertson's optical dissonance. It's a great <laughs> term, by the way, John. we got to make it look like I'm reporting in right from Trump Tower as opposed to my one bedroom here in New York where our uh, progressive communist mayor has enjoyed making fodder of him losing tax dollars. It's not really about safety. It's not really about anything. It's about the money. Um, there are greater things than money, though. And so before I get started and we talk about some economic stuff, I wanted to take care of a few different orders of business. Okay. Um, in terms of talking to the body of Christ and really making sure that we have the right perspective on all this kind of craziness, because we're going at about Mach 25 right now, and it doesn't look like it's going to slow down. Uh, so I was on a fast earlier this year for direction, for guidance, and I was really looking to press in to get a word from the Lord. And so I was at a prayer meeting at Times Square Church. It happens every Tuesday. You can tune in, uh, tscnyc.org. And the word that I got even before the service started, I sat down, asked God for a word, and I got all hands on deck. And I kept repeating over and over throughout the course of the service and through the prayer and through the worship. And it's really motivated me because now is the time for all of us to get involved, for all of us to be playing the position that we are called to and what we're meant to do. So whatever the Lord has put on your heart, it's time to get involved. It's time to do it. We're starting a new platform called On the Objective. And that's going to include things from my effort, the Amateur Society, as well as some other content from Sergeant Tim of Outlaw Patriot News, Pastor Mike Spaulding of Cavalry Chapel at Lima, Ohio, as well as some stuff from John Robertson as well. We also are working with Ross Powell, and we have some great material, great guests and everything. And so you can check that website out, ontheobjective.org, and let us know what you think. Get in touch with us. We're putting together uh, podcasts that are going out on iTunes, and so it's an easy way to get involved. Just reach out to us. Send me an email directly, amateursociety at gmail.com. Work with us. Help us. We're trying to provide a platform where everyone can get involved. So really, the objective of On the Objective is to strengthen the body of Christ, to provide solutions, and to encourage everyone to get in the game. This is 2017. We have a window that I've never seen in my life, Joe. And it's time for all hands on deck. So, you know, we're going to talk about a few different things. We can get into some economic questions, uh, maybe even on the other side of the break. But first, you know, I want to say a quick blessing over the broadcast and over the show. Sure. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we just welcome your Holy Spirit to preside over this broadcast tonight. Lord, speak through us. Guide us into all truth and righteousness. We're speaking to your people and to those who have never heard your name or accepted you as Savior, Lord. And we pray that today would be the day of salvation and that the people who already know you, who are already born again in your kingdom, would receive encouragement, boldness, creativity, protection, provision, all of the grace and mercy 
that they need, Lord, in order to fulfill your calling on their lives, in order to proceed forward to touch this generation, in order to lead a revival that starts from each individual and each family, ballooning into each church and each community, that it would sweep across this nation and the world. Lord, it is our sworn duty and objective to do your will and to glorify your name, Jesus. And so we just thank you. We thank you for all of the undeserved grace and mercy that you've extended to us. We thank you for loving us and for keeping us. And Lord, I just lift up the Hagman and Hagman broadcast and each and every one who's hearing my voice and all of the audience, Lord, live and on delay, that they would be encouraged by you, that you would touch them with your Holy Spirit and you would provide them with all of the resources that you have promised and that they need to carry forth in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for so, that prayer, Stephen. Oh, you're quite welcome, Joe. It's a it's a privilege that we get to approach the throne of God and deal in spiritual matters like that. And it's it's a it's a question of discipline, but we really do need the Lord to guide us into that. I mean, in May, I'll have been a Christian for three years. It's been an incredible ride, an incredible walk, and each and every day keeps getting better and better. Things that I never would have imagined would have come to pass have been you know appeared right before my eyes. So. A bit, a bit of housekeeping. We know that words matter, and this is crucial to what I do on the Amateur Society. You know, follow us on WordPress, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, Steam it, Gab, all of those outlets. With that out of the way, here's a central thing that makes a big difference. It's a small thing, but it makes a big difference, and that is that words matter. We see this all the time as a directive from the progressive left and those who are engineering society through those kinds of words. And so I have a couple different suggestions. I think that instead of calling the mainstream media the mainstream media, because they're not mainstream anymore, they're obsolete. So what I've done is I've taken to calling them the obsolete media because I'd rather speak it the way that it is. They're losing relevancy every day. Everything they do has seemed to backfire. And it's just incredible to see this kind of change take place at such a rapid clip. They've really went all in, and now they expect credibility, and they're so clueless living in this bubble. And here in New York, I'm like in, right in the middle of it, too. <laughs> I know. And so you have CNN saying, oh, well, our credibility is higher than ever. I don't think so. Well, let me ask you this, I don't Steve. think so. Um, it, it could be one of two things. Is it because the people are uh, waking up to the deceptions and they are uh, wanting the truth, or is it because the media, the obsolete mainstream media, has just gone overboard, like you said. Or could it be a little bit of both? I think it's a balance of both, but I really think the latter is more important. If they had just not went totally bonkers with this whole fake news thing, then they might have turned around. You may have noticed that it's not fake news anymore. It's alternative facts. And that's because when Donald Trump, President Trump, I might add, called CNN out as being fake news, then the half-life on that term being useful kind of dropped. So conspiracy theorists lasted for about half a century. Um, fake news less, lasted less than half a year. So alternative facts is probably going to be gone by the middle of next week. So, you know, we'll... We'll see what they keep on doing, but they're doubling down, doubling down on just ridiculousness. But, you know, here's something to think about as we look at President Trump's 100 days compressing to what can he accomplish in 10. Pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. um, one of the central things that I find when I watch people marching and pro protesting and rioting and making all sorts of claims and signs and costumes and all this sort of stuff, I ask, where's the critical thinking? Where's the logic? 
this is a postmodern age where truth and morals are all relative and it's whatever you think, follow your heart, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you can ask some incisive questions that really get to the bottom of things. One of my favorites is, what percentage of your current beliefs are actually false? If you say zero, then, uh, I don't know, it's a little bit sketchy, right? Because mm-hmm. then you can follow up with, well, have you ever held a belief that was false in the past? Sure, you thought somebody was your friend, but uh, it turns out that wasn't so true. The same kind of logic holds for science and all sorts of intellectual endeavors. If we if we look back and we say, oh, all of science was wrong or like getting better throughout a whole of history, but they didn't have it quite right until now when we know everything. It's hubristic. It's prideful. It's arrogant. And so when we can go into a mindset where we just say, I'm right and whatever I say goes, then we're able to be steered. We're able to be led and manipulated. For me, it comes back to Isaiah 59 or 55 verses 9 and 10. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Same thing in Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Let's rely on the Lord. Let's get all hands on deck. We're fighting a battle still. There's still dangers. We're going to talk about some economic stuff as we get back from the break and everything. But we need to stay vigilant. But in that vigilance, we should be perfectly willing to come forth and thank God for this opportunity that we've been given. Some incredible things have taken place. If I started going down the list of executive orders and actions and the rest of it, then, you know, we'd be here for quite some time trying to dissect this. And so the media, the obsolete media, I might add, who have been used to getting their talking points directly from the White House staff and then just regurgitating them as if that's journalism, suddenly they're without that resource. And so all they seem to be able to do is complain and complain and stand in opposition because they're the opposition. They're trying to motivate people and maneuver people into believing some narrative, but it lacks the cohesiveness. So, yeah, there's dangers and civil disobedience and all this kind of stuff. There are risks, but it lacks the cohesiveness and the moral high ground to really take back that territory. So it's up to us to seize it. That's right, Stephen. And another verse that comes to mind is uh, Isaiah 5, verse 20. Woe to them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It seems like that's exactly what we're seeing. And if we do have time, um, maybe we can get into a little bit of the the spiritual forces that are behind what we see happening in in the political divide in our country today and the insanity that has is coming along with it. Folks, we're talking with economist Stephen Menking from the Amateur Society. We'll be right back after these short messages. Stay with us. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman Report. We have economist Stephen Menking from the Amateur Society with us. And one of his articles that's on the Hagman Report, it's on his website, the Amateur Society, is 20,000 uh, stock, or Dow Jones, 20,000 
uh, a few thoughts or a few observa- observations. We're going to be getting to that as well as precious metals and a few other uh, economic uh, areas in this segment. I'm going to kick it over to you, Stephen, and let you get into um, you know this, this. What we're seeing is a uh, at least in what the news and, and a lot of the economists are saying is um, you know hitting this twenty thousand mark. Can you talk about this being a, a psychological number more than anything else? Sure. So. Thanks for that lead-in, Joe. Appreciate it. And from the psychological standpoint, humans like round numbers. And so when you're looking at different market levels, there tend to be round numbers that are psychologically significant. And so whenever you see something with four zeros on the end of it, people make a big deal. you know. But after all, why is 20,000 a bigger deal than uh, 19,987? It's not really the difference other than the, you know, the number. The, per- the percentage doesn't isn't a huge difference. And so the fact is in stock markets, I need to come up with a better word than markets because that's not really what they are. Uh, it's sort of an amalgamation of algorithms. So the computers know and are programmed based on understanding of human psychology in part. And so they will, you know, they will view those levels as significant as well. So, in terms of the particular setup, no, there's nothing special about the 20,000 number except people like to make nice round predictions, get on their Dow 20,000 hats and everything else. But from a baseline, even if we assume that the stock market is actually connected to the actual economy, which it isn't, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is made up of a simple handful of companies. It's not extensive. So there are only half a dozen companies that are responsible for the vast majority of these kinds of moves, and that would include Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, United Healthcare, Home Depot, amongst others. These have been moving very aggressively since the election, and so they're pulling the rest of that index up with it. So the days where the Dow is the best barometer of what's going on in the economy are long gone because it hasn't had any real correlation or metric since. If you look at the picture on that article, it tracks the stock market and the national debt since we went off the gold standard, or Nixon took us off the standard, a nice old-fashioned temporary measure that's several decades still in the making. And the debt goes up, we print more money, we buy things, the markets go up as well. So we're still borrowing money from the future to pull it into the present. Does this mean that this has to be the top? Well, the markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. And so if you're a professional trader, then by all means, there's money to be made if you understand how the algorithms work and you can sort of maneuver with them. But if you're regular people who don't have the time to sit around and track markets and do all that kind of thing, then it's best to kind of be passive. If you have some exposure, you can reduce it and make sure that your precious metals and other more real tangible assets are stocked up. But, you know, just keep keep your eyes out. It's always important to be vigilant with these things and understand with a grain of salt that, you know, these are just forecasts and speculations and do not constitute investment advice. Consult your friendly neighborhood investment professional. And after all, I am the guy that founded the Amateur Society, so you wouldn't want to rely upon me without doing your own homework. And, and uh, Stephen, if I can ask you this, because this is something that my dad and me were talking about yesterday, the housing prices seem, seem to be on an increase. And we were talking about whether that's an indication of the strength of the housing market or if it was an indication in the in the continued devaluation of our dollar. Any thoughts on that? 
It's a it's an excellent question. One thing that shouldn't be surprising is that we get a reflation of the housing bubble, in particular because of interest rates and the easy financing that's persisted over the better part of the last decade. Alan Greenspan, when he was the Fed chairman back in the early 2000s, seems like forever ago, but after 9-11 and the recession that, that followed, he was daring enough to take interest rates down to 1% for a brief period of time, and that sparked the initial housing run-up that was one of the factors that led into the 2008 financial crisis. Now we've had prices uh, or interest rates at such a low level, 0% for a long time, now only crept back up to 0.5%, that we shouldn't be surprised to see that kind of recovery. Some areas still haven't made it back, which tells you sort of how weak things are. There's another dynamic that's going on a bit behind the scenes, and, you know, this is something that is less widely reported, in that real estate investment trusts and private equity funds and hedge funds purchased a lot of properties over the course of the past 10, 15 years. And when things went downhill... They don't want to divest those at a loss. And so there was basically this restriction of inventory that funds just holding houses and not selling them. Even banks would foreclose on houses, but they were essentially instructed not to, not to sell them because it would have crushed the housing market even more and preventing this kind of ramp back up in prices, which would have contributed to unraveling the fake economy uh, recovery narrative that was perpetrated throughout the previous administration. And to touch on that, there's a corollary here. We all see jobs numbers and unemployment numbers and the rest of these kinds of things. Eh, It's not so good. It's not so good. We know that they're cooked, but what's a better way to tell? Like we can talk about birth death model assumptions, various kinds of adjustments, all this. But here's a better way to tell how much the economy is sort of running at what speed. So let's say we have 100% of people in the labor force working a full-time job. That would be a pretty good definition of full employment. It's not technically achievable, but where are we relative to that benchmark? Let's say 80% is good because some people are students. This would count people from like 16 and up um, and people who are disabled, unfortunately. And so we're never going to get to 100% on that metric. But where are we? Well, let's say a full-time job is 40 hours a week. We're currently, on average, the average work week is reported by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, slightly under 35. All right, so that's a little bit of a shortfall. The major driver here is the labor force participation rate. What percent of people who could be working actually are? That's currently sitting down below 63%, and so when you multiply those two ratios together, you get that the economy is still operating at just above half capacity, just above half speed. Now, it's not like it was running at 90% during the Bush administration. It was still down there, but it really did decrease, and that's part of why you saw that populist wave, particularly through the Rust Belt, uh, with the hollowing out of manufacturing. But, yeah, housing prices, they're up a little bit high. I'm kind of waiting on the on the market to soften up before I get into real estate, that's for sure. It's a huge investment, and you don't necessarily want to be borrowing a lot of money to go into dramatic levels of debt, but I don't think there's any scenario where – you could look ahead and interest rates wouldn't be significantly higher. So it's a, it's a delicate balance, but things are certainly overvalued. And we've seen the luxury market at the high end here in New York and elsewhere kind of take a dip on a year-over-year basis in the past couple quarters. Will that continue? Probably. 
Uh, is it going to be catastrophic? We'll see. That's a that's a matter of more intense speculation. And that's um, you know that brings up a number of other issues that we could get into um, as as far as the economy is concerned, uh, because you cover a lot of ground there. The unemployment, and if we can, let's move into trade a little bit. We saw Trump, you know, nix the the TPP. Um, sure. Not that we really saw the effects of what that was going to do to us, but we have been through NAFTA, and he Trump has been talking about renegotiating NAFTA with Canada, with Mexico. Um, the president of Mexico and the former president have come out and said, uh, you won't survive without NAFTA. And I think that was the current president. And uh, the former president talked about not paying for the wall, and that's whatever. But the the trade deals... Is it as bad as, as we've reported, as others have reported, as far as gutting uh, the manufacturing sector, gutting jobs out of America? And um, if we renegotiate NAFTA, will that continue to add jobs here in America um, with the right policies in place? It's a good question because it's one of the planks that uh, President Trump campaigned upon and is something where if he can actually deliver that, then there is the potential to develop the kind of political goodwill that would go a long way towards sealing up some of the dramatic divides that we see in our society in the in a rising tides lift all boat kind of scenario. In terms of the TPP, it was worse than just a kind of jobs mechanic. That was a total sovereignty killer mm-hmm. in terms of seeding national sovereignty to international, international corporate yeah. interests. So w- that was unmitigated disaster. I'm even surprised that they went so far as to as to push it. I mean, uh, and it was secret. Nobody could do it. And it was like signed in by executive order, which brings me to an important point on governance. For Even for those who are the most ardent of Trump supporters, one thing we have to pay attention in this blitzkrieg of executive orders is that it's very important to make sure that the oath to uphold and protect the Constitution is placed at the highest level in terms of the execution of the governance. Now, the reason you could just write off TPP was because it wasn't properly submitted to Congress and imposed as a real treaty. If that had taken place, then you would have had to go through a much more intricate and complicated process. So, in part, because of the way that Obama governed, a lot of his actions can be undone in fairly swift order by... by executive order or memorandum to the various executive branches. But we have to be wary of that sort of precedent. The same way we have to be wary of the nuclear option precedent, the cloture precedent, all the different kind of political shenanigans, because if we're really going to restore the constitutional republic and the freedoms that we have, it has to last. It can't just be, all right, here's our barrage of executive orders in four or eight years or whatever time somebody else Mm -hmm. comes along and can do the exact opposite. That kind of swing back and forth is would be absolutely terrible. And so these initial phases of getting these trade agreements renegotiated and everything else, it appears to be totally above board, but we have to keep a close eye on that. Even folks who are totally in favor of Trump's policies and his goals, we need to make sure that people are being held accountable so that the rule of law on an overall basis isn't compromised the way that it has been uh, from in recent years and even decades, going back multiple administrations. In terms of the uh, the Mexican government, that's just an exercise in machismo. They kind of have to say that. The only real question is how long is it going to take them to fold? You know, yeah. it could be a week. It could be a week. I don't think 
Enrique uh, Nieto wants to stand up against Trump on the on the world stage. He doesn't have the bargaining tools, and it's just not going to work. Mexico gets too much of their economic productivity from trade with the United States, and so if that gets cut off, or even the threat of it getting cut off, would be a powerful motivating factor. And so, you know, when Trump says Mexico is going to pay for the wall, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to cut a check for it, but there are various kinds of negotiation mechanisms yeah. that can be used to to fund that kind of program. And so, and Trump from just, my perspective... He, he yeah, talked about the uh, putting a 20% tax on imports uh, from Mexico as a way to pay for the wall. Also, sure. John pointed this out earlier, um, the peso smacked after Mexican president cancels meeting uh, with Trump. How how much of a factor is the value of the peso going to be on what Mexico uh, decides to do with Trump? Because if they're cut off from the U.S., if they're cut off from funding and uh, the ability to trade uh, one how much U.S. dollars keeps the, the Mexican economy alive? And two, um, how bad would it get there before they, you think they would cave in? It's a good point. It's a, there's a specific point and then a more general conclusion to come to. The specific point is that currency kind of fluctuations and those sorts of manipulations can be done artificially in addition to from some fundamental response, oh, this should theoretically weaken or strengthen the peso depending on that kind of implication. Really, it just trades on algorithms, and the U.S., if they wanted to, quite frankly, could just, you know, somebody at the in the basement of the Fed could hit a couple buttons, and it could, tank, it could tank the whole currency itself. The question is, do you want to do that? Is that productive? Because we've seen all sorts of various kinds of bizarre and strange fluctuations, whether we're talking about the British pound or over in Venezuela and everything else. So... Long story short, the natural markets aren't there even in the currency side of things, and the currency side of things is one of the most important and largest markets in the world because it impacts those kinds of decisions. I think that is one mechanism of putting pressure, but I think that Trump would be more bold and direct because if he uses some like secret market manipulation way to to get some action coming out, that isn't quite in line with his blustering negotiation style where he can say, hey, look, I went in there, I gave it to them, they gave, they gave us what we wanted, and we won. We won. It's a great victory. And we're making America great again. That kind of narrative doesn't go so well in the covert operations. It needs to be very visible. But it's important when we're doing this kind of analysis, because the obsolete media will sort of pull a sleight of hand. When Trump comes out and he says, well, here are the terms that we're going to propose, or here's something that's on the table, he's floating that not as a best possible solution, but as a starting point for negotiations. So people are going to say, oh, how terrible. He's going to you know, destroy the Mexican economy. He's a racist. He's negotiating. He's putting a position out there, seeing how people respond, and then taking measured steps so that the two sides can make mutually agreeable concessions to come to the middle. That's how good business is done, and you don't get to where Trump is in terms of being a global real estate billionaire magnate without having that kind of skill. In particular, he's especially known for it and will likely take that kind of track. But on the specific front, I'm not so sure if there's a particular level that I would watch. It's like, oh, below here, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cave. I think it's more of a mano-a-mano, man-on-man negotiation thing, and Trump's stronger. Trump's stronger. Okay. And back to something that you mentioned earlier, you know, the Trump executive orders, and I kind of 
I forgot to, to make this point and ask you about this, uh, ask your opinion about this. We, and you're exactly right about, uh, we can't go, we can't fix problems. They, they won't stay fixed if a lot of these things are just done by executive order. Cause as you said, the next president could come in and just use an executive order to reverse it. There should be bills passed through the House, the Senate, signed by the president. One example of, of what they're doing now, um, is the bill to, you know, get the U.S. out of the United Nations and and to stop, you know, throwing funding at the United Nations. Now, Trump did a partial executive order on funding, uh, on the funding of the United Nations, but um, to do that, we really would have to do it properly, and, and a lot of these things should be done properly. Which brings me to the question, do you think Trump is following, with his executive orders, is following the Constitution, or do you think he's following the voice of the people who got him elected? Hopefully both there, Joe. I mean, uh, because I'm not a constitutional legal expert and I haven't had the time, quite frankly, to delve into all of the different intricacies here, I think that there are perhaps some aspects to be wary of, but none of them strike me as being an unconstitutional overreach just yet because I'm I'm not so sure if there are any like existing laws that are being rewritten by these things, the same way that Obamacare was sort of revised after the fact in a way that needed to go through the legislative branch. But it's something to keep an eye on for sure. Sorry I don't have anything more no, specific or concrete, but you know, I sure would like to see uh you know, the United Nations building is kinda ugly and it kinda gives me the creeps, quite frankly. Um it's probably that Blackstone prayer room, but you know, mm-hmm. we don't need to go into that. Okay, let's uh, switch gears and let's get into um, precious metals. Sure. We have seen the fluctuation in precious metals, uh, specifically more of a downturn these last few years after the boom, um, you know, at the beginning of the decade. Uh, what's in store for precious metals? Last, I think yesterday was the last time I checked. Gold was around twelve hundred ounce, silver was sixteen fifty, maybe uh, give or take. Um, do we expect any increases, decreases, or uh, can we expect it to remain steady throughout the near future? Sure. So the depends on what you mean by the near future, I suppose. In the, next, uh, the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. My um my prediction that I wrote on an article on the Amateur Society on the WordPress page at the beginning of the year was that I expected gold and silver to make um, new all time highs this year. Gold that would mean you know around the two thousand mark. Silver back at around fifty, and then I expected Bitcoin as well to go up to two thousand. But we'll see how we'll see how that develops. A lot of that is contingent upon. The change, or what I'm referring to as the systemic monetary reset. Basically, the system that we have has run its course in terms of fiat money and debt saturation. We can all see that the writing is on the wall, and the writing was on the wall even a couple years ago and even a couple years before that. Anybody with certain sense and no wool over their eyes from an economic perspective could note that the debt was unsustainable. We were never going to pay it back because we can't. We borrowed several hundred years into the into the future and moved that consumption back to the present. So that's an unsustainable standard of living. It's an unsustainable debt load. And, you know, that's part of the reason why interest rates have been trapped so low for so long. But Ultimately here we're looking, we were looking at a situation where if there was an unwind, if there was a problem in the derivatives complex or in the banking system, that the whole thing would have come down extremely quickly without dramatic action, and that could have been something that was very prolonged and very dangerous, um, not just for people's wealth, but for people's health, like their lives, literally. But now if we 
are able to build up our physical goods economy and our manufacturing economy enough that when we go through this transition, this inevitable transition, which could be sooner rather than later, I don't know. It depends on when people feel comfortable executing this. Uh, the you know people inside the Trump administration and in these various institutions like the Treasury, the Fed, and and the rest of it. So we'll see. We'll see about how that goes. But that's something that you know if you listen to various commentators is even in the works in the background. But the the issue is if we have something stable, then when we go back into a system where currencies are backed by gold, maybe silver, um, maybe even other commodities, there are a bunch of wide-ranging varieties of possibilities here, and they all have their own flavors, but it seems to me that gold and silver are going to be at the center of all of it. And that's because they've historically held their value and held their purchasing power. And when all the fiat systems run down, people are going to look for actual kind of stability. And that comes primarily through the precious metals. Now, people will go back and forth uh, between gold, silver, Bitcoin, etc. My general practical advice to people is that you shouldn't own something that you don't like or that you don't understand. Uh, do the, You owe it to yourself to do the research to make the kind of practical decisions that are necessary. But long story short, you should pick good price points to accumulate. Silver, anything below 20 is a good price to accumulate. It's, mm-hmm. to, it's a ridiculously undervalued. It was hanging out above 17 until uh, earlier this week. Gold was hanging out about 1200 But again, these are the paper prices subject to manipulation. We know that the manipulation hasn't stopped because these aren't like multiples higher. They haven't even begun to approach their fair value. So if you wake up and these prices are just like non-existent, it's because the whole thing come uh, came unraveled in the precious metals complex. But long story short, make tactical decisions about slowly accumulating things and don't worry about the day-to-day paper fluctuations in price, except for watching out for them because they create good buying opportunities. You know, gold touched almost 1340 on the night of the inauguration then went down to 1120 and it's you can get more gold at 1120 than you can at 13 mm-hmm. but in the here in the United States and maybe in the West more generally we have this attitude where we're only going to buy something if it's going up we want the next hot thing right. you know we're jumping on that momentum rather than sort of sitting back and being patient and buying low in order to maximize our purchases so space it out spend a little bit accumulating these assets. One way you can do it in gold, if you don't happen to have, like, let's say $10,000 just laying around, which most people don't, and, you know, statistically speaking, and it's a truism, you can go on to gold money uh, and you can set up an account where you can buy in with very small amounts and you can get a debit card where you can essentially spend your gold and transact with it. So it creates the kind of liquidity that is extremely valuable. Of course, you don't have that gold in your physical possession. It's stored at a third-party Brinks vault. You can uh, you can bank some in Singapore, Hong Kong, Zurich, uh, New York, even if you wanted to. But point is, that's a good way to get some exposure to gold without having to fork out a pretty big chunk of change to buy some one-ounce bars or one-ounce coins. So that's one mechanism that I use. Uh, physical silver. I have a I have a small Bitcoin position. It's uh, you know it's a speculative thing, but I've been convinced by the technology. And so, basically, from a practical standpoint, we just need to be tactical. We need to have our ducks in a row, so to speak, so that as this inevitable monetary system reset takes place, that we're prepositioned with the right kind of assets that are going to be core to that functioning. 
And, you know, we really do have a chance here, Joe, to make the right kind of decisions that will protect ourselves. And if we get things right for a, a period of time on the national scale and actually rebuild, then the pain won't be as bad. It won't be as troublesome. Now, there, there are people and there's a school of thought that view the way that Trump is handling the markets and is sort of backed off calling everything a bubble as problematic. I'm more inclined to say that can't go higher first because that market, like all other currency markets, can be manipulated with the click of a button. If the real accounting was shown to the world, then we'd see a totally different picture than what we have. But make those kind of smart decisions. I publish a weekly uh, gold, silver, Bitcoin update that basically says, look, I'd be interested in buying here at these various points. You know, if, if gold gets back down to the 1100 area, I'd buy some. Uh, if it gets back down to a thousand, don't think it's likely, but it's possible, I suppose, then I'd grab some more. It's a good buying opportunity. It's an incredibly valuable asset and it's on sale. I would do the same thing with silver and I, you know, same sort of thing with Bitcoin. But if you want those price points, you can just check us out on the Amateur Society on WordPress or on any one of our outlets. And again, uh, on the objective is a new podcast that you're putting That's out right. and folks can yep. find that at the Amateur Society. Uh, I go to ontheobjective.org. That's the oh, flagship okay. website. And you can also go to our Spreaker account on On The Objective. That's where all the Amateur Society audios and everything else. You can also look up On The Objective on YouTube. Excellent. Uh, Mr. Menking, fantastic information. Uh, these last two segments, I want to thank you so much for coming on and look forward to continuing to have you on in the future. Absolutely, Joe. Thanks for having me. God bless you guys. God bless you, too. You have a good evening. Take care. That was economist Stephen Manking from the Amateur Society. When we come back, Pastor Keith Iton, the prepper, the preacher, a spiritual and survival guide is his book. We'll be right back with the pastor after this. to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Uh, we just had on economist Stephen Menking, if you joined us late, from the Amateur Society. Uh, very uh, high energy and great information in that interview. They covered a lot of ground, um, not only you know the economy, the direction of the economy, precious metals, the housing market, um, and a little bit of the world economy. And folks, don't forget to go... Uh, and check out the Amateur Society as well as on theobjective.org, which is a new venture that they've launched to, to do podcasts. But this hour, we have, uh, and through the, for the rest of the show, we have a new guest, Pastor Keith Iden, his website, Food Survival Store. And don't be fooled by that. He is a pastor, and he's the author of The Prepper and the Preacher, A Spiritual Survival Guide. And we're going to be talking with him here shortly. Um, Pastor, are you with us? I'm with you. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Joe Hagman here. My my father co- and co-host Doug Hagman is uh, working in the office uh, getting some investigative reports done. So it's just you and me tonight. I want to welcome you to the Hagman Report, and I want to make sure I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Um, Pastor Keith Iden? You that got correct? it. That's 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 good enough. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> I'm terrible with names, so you have to forgive me. Uh, welcome to the show. 
Well, thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate it, uh, Joe. Um, I've been a listener for quite some time, and um, I love you guys, your show. Um, there's, You guys had a couple guests in the past that actually made me uh, look at my theology and say, you know what, that guy really knows something. I need to go and do some more studying. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, that's a, such a wonderful thing. Um, so often in our society and in our culture and especially even in the church is, is where we see so much resistance to uh, for people to be corrected corrected by others corrected by pastors corrected by even the holy spirit sometimes and it's uh, very refreshing when it does happen because that tells me that people are open and receptive to uh, you know what the lord is saying versus what their own minds have made up for them as how this is going to play out and that's always i mean that's the goal so uh, I think that's wonderful. Well, Brother Joe, you hit it on the head, and um, I'm thankful that you had me on here. Is it possible by any chance? Because I, I, I don't, I know you sometimes have, sometimes have a format. Is it possible that we do? I do a quick prayer before we start. Absolutely. All right, thank you. Father, I thank you for bringing us on this show today. I thank you for this show, for Doug and Joe, and for their show. Father, I ask you to bless the listeners tonight. Holy Ghost, I ask you to speak through my lips to let the people hear, not just with their ears, but with their heart. And Father, I ask that you will just cover Doug and Joe with the blood of Jesus. Keep your angels encamped around them. Keep a wall of fire around their station, Father. Just protect them throughout the night and day. Keep a wall of fire around their house and their property, Father God. And Father, I just thank you for what you're going to do through the show, and I thank you what you're going to do for Doug and Joe this year, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, amen. brother. <laughs> thank you for that, uh, Pastor. Um, if we can, uh, I talked with John earlier, and he can, kind of gave me a little information on, on your background, and one of the things that, that stuck out to me, and if you don't want to start here, we can start somewhere else, but he explained to me that, um, like Pastor Langford, who's a regular guest each and every Wednesday night on our show, uh, you really didn't want to be a preacher. You were called more than deciding, uh, I want to be a preacher. Is that correct? That's very correct. I, let me tell the listeners out there, I was the, I was the guy just 15, 20 years ago, I was the guy at the nightclub. In, I used to be a, a bartender and a bouncer down in Miami, Florida. I was living there for some years. I lived there in a good chunk of my life, and also lived in New York as well. I was the guy that you would see with the with further years back. I had to be the guy you see with the real nappy hair, pants sagging down, and gold teeth filled in his mouth. That was me. And I knew there was a call on my life from an early age, but I ran from it, kind of like Jonah. I spent a good chunk of time running from it. And then uh, eventually, God finally got his way. <laughs> and here I am today. Um, I'm a pastor, and I'm also, I am I am also a prepper. I, I walk the talk. I don't just talk the talk. I walk it. Um, I believe in preparedness um, spiritually as well as physically. But as, as my book is titled, um, uh, The Prepper and the Preacher, A Spiritual Survival Guide, I believe it's more important to be prepared, prepared spiritually because the things that are coming down the pike in this country, we have to be on our game spiritually. And don't get me wrong, I support preparing physically. I, I do it and I believe in it, storing food and water and all that good stuff. But being prepared uh, spiritually is more important. And I, I'm going to 
give you guys a handful to to run away with tonight. So you could say, you could either say this pastor's crazy or this guy knows something in his head. <laughs> well, you know, um, to to some out there, everything that's on this show that is on an, an alternative media platform is crazy nowadays. But I guess that doesn't define, you know, that's not, we, we can't look at uh, pe- people's opinions anymore. Uh, I don't know. At the beginning of the show, we were talking about the the insanity and, and just how far away from common sense um, the media has gotten, the, the base of people that are anti-Trump, and even uh, on people on both the left and the right. I guess it, it doesn't really matter. We're seeing it more from the left right now. But the amount of in, just um, the lack of common sense, the lack of any reason or semblance of uh, critical thinking, and I guess this is a good place to to really start the spiritual battle that is is behind this culture of division in this country. How much do you think it is uh, people acting on their own prejudices, their own um, opinions, and, and the opinions of those they follow? Versus how much is this is a spiritually a dark spiritually driven agenda? Part of it is definitely um, demonic. Um, that is what it is. There's been a whole lot of demons set out, thing, and I'm—I mean, I'm talking about things in the unseen realm that are influencing people to dumb it down for folks who are maybe like, okay, what is he talking about? Well, let's just visualize the old Tom and Jerry cartoons that we used to watch growing up, where you had Tom was about to do something, and then the little good angel would come over on Tom's shoulder and say, now, Tom, don't you do that. That's not nice. But then that little red devil would come on the other shoulder and say, go ahead, do it. Just give him a whack. And we, we're in that situation today in this country where there's so, there's so much demonic warfare that people literally have some of these little demons on their shoulders. And the sad part is because Christianity or the Word of God, because it's been belittled so much by design, I might add, that people are succumbing to these evil spirits and they don't even realize it. And then, of course, you know, then they wonder why some of this, this foolishness is happening in our country. And it's been just a systematic uh, removal of taking the Ten Commandments out of the school, taking the Word of God of the school, to um, go ahead and um, penalize uh, people for preaching Jesus or because it might offend somebody. And then, starting to, and then of course, it's just been ramped up, of course, over under the last administration. I, and I hate to get political, but sometimes you, it just goes hand in hand. And, you know, under the last administration, some of the bills and the things that were done where it was blatant in-your-face attacks on people who believe in the Bible. I mean, by virtue, I, I know I'm on, I could be on a terrorist watch list. No, I'm not a terrorist, but because I'm a Bible believer, I support the Constitution because that's the rules of law, the rules and laws for our, our country. That's just common sense. You know, I believe in homeschooling. I homeschool two of my kids. You know, it's like, whoa, well, hold on. He could be a potential, and that's just total nonsense. But this is where we're at. And people have to recognize it now that in some cases, you know what I'm saying? It is what it is. This is a spiritual battle and it's boiling over into the natural, into the natural realm. And I, I could, I could tell you something, Joe. It, it, there's times where even I look at things and I drop my jaw and I say, Lord, only you know. And we, we all can mm-hmm. sit there and just, 
you know, as people with a conservative mindset and say, oh gosh, you gotta be kidding me. But the blind, the blinders down, the devil has pulled some really good tricks in the last couple of years. Because I mean, you've got, you have to think about this. The scriptures are really alive when Jesus said, we'll be at war with the, those of our own house. You know, it's literally, we're supposed to be a Christian nation, but we're warring with each other and they say, according to statistics, seven, what, 70% of the people in this country claim they're Christian. So how could there be so much division in this country and we're at each other's throats? Yeah, I mean, you gotta, we gotta look at it for what it is. Just last night, I was in the, I was in the gym and I'm in the gym and I know this guy, I know he's supposed, he's supposed to be a Christian, but I know he was a heavy supporter of the young lady who was running for the presidency. I won't even say the name. And he then, I'm on the, I decided, I'm on the workout mill right next to him. We're both doing our little walking and jogging and talking. And I mean, because I wasn't supportive of her getting in office, I mean, you want to see this guy rail up like, <laughs> you think I talked about his mama or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's been so common this last election cycle. And I'm, I'm 33 years old. I've been paying attention to politics, uh, for at least half my life, uh, and especially after 9-11. I thought George Bush was the worst president we ever had, and then Obama came along, and the things that he did just were worse than what George Bush did. So, you know, I've been real, uh, and we've been talking about this on the show this last week. I've been real cynical about politics. Um, it was to the point where it wasn't so much wanting Donald Trump to win, it was wanting to make sure uh, that his opponent didn't win, but that he now that he gets in, and, and Pastor Langford said this last night that that the nation is, suffers from a, a form of you know an abused abused spouse syndrome due to uh, the amount of negativity and the backstabbing and, and the going away from the Constitution and the laws that have happened, and that now that we are getting uh, you know a reprieve, if you will, or blessings, we don't know how to handle those blessings because we have the the mindset of you know a, a battered spouse. And I thought that was really um, accurate. And what you said about the the level, you know, people who I've never seen the opposition so intent that if you have a difference of opinion, they do act like you just, you know, hit their family member, their wife, or whatever. It, it's it it digs at something so much more than even a personal uh, conflict does at many times. And that's very confusing to me to see. Uh, the, the reactions that we're getting from people who just disagree with you. It's to the point where you can't even disagree with somebody. And, and the, the, the party that's promoting tolerance is, is the most intolerant uh, that I've ever seen. And, and it's very confusing and frustrating at the same time. Well, you know, I, I'm thanking God that he's opening my eyes to, to see who's who because, you know, the scripture said he's dividing the sheep from the goats. And, you know, even with talking to the young man last night, uh, no much, as, as much as he tried to defend his candidate and his beliefs, every time I referred back to the Bible and to the scripture and I gave him verse upon verse, because it's in my heart, it's in my spirit, and I'm giving him to him, he would always say, then he eventually just back down and said, you know what, I don't even know why you believe in that thing. It's just a book. And I'm saying, this guy's supposed to be a Christian. <laughs> I'm looking at him like, so he exposed himself. I just let him expose himself. And I was like, okay, see, now I know that I, I shouldn't even be quoting scripture to you because you don't even read it. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, never mind. <laughs> so, you know, saying that, I just, I'll just leave that alone because 
you know, we, we're in a such, we are in a period, a, a day and age of deception. And I'm gonna, I have a few things I'm just sharing with the Hagman listeners, and I haven't shared on any other radio show. And I'm gonna drop, I'm gonna give you guys a full, a full blast of deception. Do you remember that Malaysian Airlines, what, that plane? Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the one, disappearing plane. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay. I, I listen to your show. I listen to other shows. You know, because you're informed, my friend, you know how hard it is to just lose a plane. Okay. It's almost, it, it, I would say it's impossible in today's day and age with the, the, the black boxes, the secondary black boxes, the communications that are in, in, in put into a plane. And not only that, you know, the satellite technology and capabilities of tracking. I mean, every part of this earth basically can be observed. Almost in real time, I imagine, by most governments or many of them, and somehow this plane just vanishes for weeks and months, and they still don't have a definitive answer. I think they found some seats or something, um, but well, it's never me, really I'm gonna get, been answered. Yeah, well, I'm going to answer it tonight. Part to part, I'm going to give a a partial a partial answer and let the reader, the listener, excuse me, figure out the rest. You see, there are some Christians who who don't believe, you know, um, cessationist Christians. It's, and every Christian, you're my brother. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you believe he died in for your sins and you're trying your best to, to not sin, you're my brother. But, yeah, we do, in, 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 even in the Christian faith, we have our divisions. We, Some of us, you know, we some believes in this, some doesn't believe in that. Okay, I, I believe, you know, that Jesus did do what he do, but I believe the disciples did it, but not everybody after that or, you know, there's a little there's differences here and there, and I have grace for that. I understand, but I'm one of those guys. I believe it. I'll call me, call me whatever you want. I believe it because I've experienced it. I've seen it. You know, I've seen the miracles. I've seen the deaths get their hair, their hearing restored by people laying hands and praying over their ears. I've I've seen cancer patients get dramatically, supernaturally healed. People who were written off for death. I've witnessed it. So. There's no shaking my faith because I, I got I've got to walk through it, and I'm I'm thanking God because He's going to let me see more. But I'm bringing up that plane because I had I went to a church, and one day at a church I, I went down a random visit. I'm African American, about forty years forty years of age. This church was run by two Caucasians who were friends of mine. I'm just showing the, the, the dynamics here. Her and her husband, her husband just passed away. He's a pastor, and she, she passed it with her husband. They're both Caucasian. We're total opposites, different backgrounds, but we're connected by the blood of Jesus Christ. I go to her church. She says, Pastor Keith, can you, I just feel led of the Lord for you to get up and pray, to preach a word. I didn't come there to prepare it. I said, okay, fine. The Lord told me to preach on being translated. I talk about that. I say, okay, there's ways of being supernaturally translated. Whoever wants to believe it can believe it. Who doesn't want to? It's been done by many people in the Bible. It's, you don't apply it. People in um, Satanism and Illuminists, they do it. They know how to do it, but they're doing it by dark energy, by powers of darkness to do it. A believer in Jesus, Jesus Christ does it for you when he feels like it. Now, this is biblical. Ezekiel chapter 8. Uh, he was taken and seen what was going on behind the scenes in the temple. Um, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, Philip the Evangelist, he was, uh, um, moved supernaturally 30 miles in, in less than, in less than one second. He was preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, then wham, down the street preaching to, preaching to a bunch of Jews. So, it's biblical, you can check the Bible, check me out, it's called being translated. 
I'm at this church. I preach on this. After I'm done preaching, the pastor's wife is an 80-year-old woman. She says to me, Brother Keith, I know the Lord sent you here today. I'm like, why? What's up, sister? She said, I only could tell one person about this because if I told anybody else, they would think I was crazy or losing my mind. I said, why? She said, it happened to me. I said, really? She said, yes. What happened? She said, do you remember where, when that, that, that plane disappeared and it was on the news, that, 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 that plane? That, I said, you mean the Malaysian Airlines? She said, yes. She says, well, this is what happened to me. I went to sleep that night. The Lord took me to an island, and there was some island in the middle of nowhere. I can't tell you where. Now, let me just pause the story. She doesn't listen to the Hagman Report. She doesn't listen to, to any of your other the other alternative stations and stuff. She doesn't listen to this stuff. This is a woman of prayer. She just preaches the Word, reads her Bible, and that's pretty much her life, what she does. And she's 80 years old. Back to the story. She said she was taken by the Lord some island in the middle of nowhere. She doesn't know where she was at. She sees the plane. She sees some men with guns. This is what she's telling me. She said, I've seen some soldiers with guns walking the people off the plane. And as they're walking them, they're walking to them down the runway at gunpoint, but they're bringing them to some big hangar building. And I was like, so what happened? She said, on their walk, the Lord had me witnessing to each one before they got to that building, and I was stopping them along the walk and just asking them, have they received Jesus Christ as their Savior? Do they know Jesus? Would they like to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior? And she asked each one individually, and praise the Lord, some of those passengers accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Some of them did not. She said, Brother Keith, the soldiers were supernaturally blinded. They could not see me. I was invisible to them, but the people could see me. So I witnessed to each one. Some of them accepted Christ. Some of them didn't. She said, Keith, all I know, they were walking them into that big um, hangar thing, with a, that big hangar building, and I knew something bad was going to happen to them. And after I witnessed to the last passenger, the Lord supernaturally took me right back to my bedroom in North Carolina in my bed. And I don't, And that was that. And I didn't want to tell anyone besides my son because people would think I was crazy. And that's how the Lord works. I'm preaching about the subject of being translated, and I tell her she's not crazy, and I explain to her what she witnessed. She saw what happened to the passengers of that Malaysian Airlines plane, and God in his mercy, because this is a spiritual battle, what the biggest battle is going, that's going on planet Earth right now is a battle for souls. Where you're going when you leave your earthly body, that's what this is all about. Where are you going to head? Heaven or hell? Let's not get it confused. So if you got something to say, brother, I can, because I can keep going. <laughs> okay. Well, um, you know, th- that story is very interesting, and we we hear uh, stories similar to that, um, you know, people with other experiences, and I'm not one to discount, you know, these people's experiences or what they what happened to them, because... Uh, many of them are very faithful Bible-believing Christians and have no reason to lie. But a lot of people, and I don't want to get too far off, uh, you know, the point here. But a lot of people will just write that stuff off as, uh, you know, oh, that can't happen, um, you know, because as you said, it's something in their mental process. They just won't believe it happens, even if they are Christian. 
But I mean, that's uh, the first time I've heard uh, anything like that about about that story. And you know, who knows? I mean, I, I'm not saying that that didn't happen or what she built, what what she experienced wasn't what really happened. I guess Brother, the, the I, point that, is when we're all when everything's all said and done, we will know for sure. Yes. Uh, what what that, that happened. Well, well, I can tell you this much. Like I said, I'm sa- I'm saving. I was just giving some of the surprises to the Hagman listeners. So the Hagman listeners, they can, in their prayer time, their special time, they can walk with the Lord and pray about things and say, "Hey, Lord, was this guy telling me the truth?" You know, when the Lord will reveal things to you, that's that's the beauty of God. He'll reveal it to you. Um, I have, uh, I know of of more cases and situations like that, but. What's really special, this is how God confirms things. You had a guest on your show. I don't even remember the guy's name, but this is how he confirmed an experience I had. This gentleman you had on your show um, some while, a while back, he was speaking of giants, and he was speaking that the, the tunnels and stuff underneath, I think, Antarctica and someplace else. And yeah. like places they were at. Do you remember that guest? Because I don't. But it, it was a it was a show that provided a confirmation for me. Yeah, we had we've had a. Um, I know Steve Quayle and, and Greg Evenson a while back, a few years ago, and Tim Alberino have come on to talk about the Giants, and specifically Steve Quayle and Greg Evenson talking about Antarctica Operation High Jump um, and, and the things from after the Second World War. But yeah, um, and Steve Quayle is an author. He's written many books uh, about giants about and Tim Alberino has been working with them, and they talk about you know what a lot of things that uh, people would consider extra biblical. Not that giants are extra biblical, but you know getting into the Book of Enoch and and extra biblical texts like that. But there is a lot of evidence that if people start digging around of you know these underground cave networks, there's obviously uh, been giants and will continue to be giants in in some form here, uh, as the Bible says. So it, it's very, it, it's a very real thing. At the same time, a lot of Christians will dismiss it because they feel that it's not accurate for whatever reason, even though it's in the Bible. You know, one of the biggest problems today in Christianity, and that's why Christian America, that beacon on the hill that, um, that John Winthrop said, the light on the hill, it, it, it's the sad thing with a lot of the, the Christians today in the United States is the lack of belief. You know, Jesus, you know, he, when he upbraided his disciples, the script of the Bible says he upbraided them for their unbelief. And in America, you know, we're, we, I mean, oh man, we will believe this, we won't believe that. I mean, when I say that, I'm, I'm talking about like the Christians, you know, like, you know, it's like, well, you know, when I, I've heard this before, well, Jesus never, Jesus doesn't mind abortion. I'm like, oh, okay, oh boy, here we go. You know, <laughs> like, I'm like, dude, <laughs> which Bible are you reading? <laughs> Look, I, I bring it up yeah. that point because yeah, hey. you're you're absolutely right. Some some Christians they won't believe it. You know, you'll have the testimonies. We can have we can have ten guys come on your show who are X three letter agency. And they'll they'll come on with pictures and evidence and videotaped evidence and everything, and people still won't believe. <laughs> that you know that's yeah, just, very true. That's just that's just the way it is. But I had this experience on that subject of translation. I had an experience where I was supernaturally taken somewhere. That's right. I didn't ask for it. You know? Can you hear me? Yeah. No, I I hear you. I don't want you to get too far into that story. We got about a minute before the break. 
So oh, um, okay. let's let's stop right here, and then we'll pick it up on the other side. And I don't know if we uh, if anybody went over the the show uh, schedule with you. Um, at twenty seven minutes to thirty minutes, we have a break, so it's a three minute break, not very long. Um, in the halfway point and at the top of each hour, so um, we are right around the corner from the break right now. Just a few, just a minute, um, folks. If you want uh, Pastor Keith Iden's book, go to Amazon or just search the Prepper. And the preacher, a spiritual survival guide. Uh, the book was released in 2015. It is, uh, uh, it's got great reviews on Amazon. Again, the preacher and, or, I'm sorry, the prepper and the preacher, a spiritual survival guide, as well as Pastor Keith's website, foodsurvivalstore.com. And we will hear more about both his book and his website and, uh, the prepping preacher, as I, I'll uh, give him the nickname. Uh, he'll be with us until the end of the show, so make sure you don't go anywhere on this edition of the Hagman Report this Thursday, the 26th of January. We'll be right back. Stay with us. edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We are joined by a uh, first-time guest, Pastor Keith Iden. You can go to his website, foodsurvivalstore.com, and check out his book, The Prepper and the Preacher, A Spiritual Survival Guide. Before the break, uh, Pastor, you were telling us a story. Of, you were speaking at a church, and you got a confirmation from, I believe it was the pastor's uh, wife or, or an 80-year-old congregant of the church who had an experience being translated that dealt with the missing Malaysia flight, and you were about to, to tell a story yourself of an experience you had. Yeah, um, brother, I, I look, this experience has just caught me off guard. Um, basically, look, I believe, you know, I take the Bible literally, I believe that the giants existed, and I also believe that they're still here. And I just, yep, I you know, agree. and I... And my belief, my belief of it went up the, went up the scale. It went from the one to eight. It went, and let's just say that the, 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 the maximum was ten. Now it went from a one to a, a million. <laughs> That's how okay. much I, I know they exist still. Um, I had a supernatural experience where I was, uh, translated and I was taken to a chamber with, underneath, deep underground, and I had a list um, I had to put, put it like this. I had an angelic escort. And while I was there, I got to see them. They're, they're down there. Um, and the, the thing that's really freaky is in the experience that I had, they were not only there, this place, there was part of it that looks like regular caves and caverns. Other parts of it had, um, regular, you know, technology like lights and regular rooms and things of that nature. But the thing that was very, very, um, uh, disturbing with them, all the giants, they're very cognizant of the time. Every single one of them, they have some kind of timepiece on them, whether it's an old watch or a, like the old watch that you would, you know, see the guy in the 1800s with, the old little pocket watch or a regular watch on their wrist. And they all had something to tell them the time. And it's no matter 
whenever they would walk and go from place to place, they're always checking the time because they are very nervous of time. They know something that we don't know. And I personally believe they know that the coming of Jesus is, is, is approaching quickly. Um, but they're very, um, they, they watch the time a lot. On top of that, one particular thing about them, they can sense fear. When I was in this chamber, I became very fearful because I'm talking about when you're seeing somebody, a dude 15 feet tall who makes Shaquille O'Neal look like a midget, um, that will put some fear in you. And I was very fearful. And while I was with this particular angel, he couldn't see me. But when I kept cowering in fear, that's when he started to sense exactly where I was at. And he saw my, he was able to figure out my location and then he was able to sense me using scent. But he didn't smell my physical body, he smelled fear. So this is something I just want the, the listeners to know that when the Bible says do not fear, do not fear, there's more to that statement than we could even imagine. We can't be fearful in the day we're going into. But lo and behold, I had the, the angel of the Lord protecting me, so they weren't able to do anything to me. So I'm just, there was more, there's much more to this story, but I wanted just to bring that, just to sum that up to let people know that they are real, they're underground, and I, I will say this much, there are human beings in high positions of power on this planet that know that the giants exist and are working in collusion with them. So you can take that however you want to take that, but I'm not going to say any uh, names of world leaders of, of who I witnessed, but this is very real. And the powers of darkness are, are real. This is not a, a bubblegum game. This is not a time and, and a, a, a day for us to be playing church. When I say playing church, like you might go for a social hour, but you don't, you're not working on that real relationship with, with the Lord. This is a time where we have to be serious about our walk with God. We really want to have a personal relationship with Jesus. We can't just, you know, play, play games with it. This is a serious day we're in. And I, I know you guys know that because I know uh, the, the amount of truth that your show projects. I know you guys face all kinds of attacks. If it's not spiritual, it's through uh, the, 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 the electricity or the, the, the lines, the satellite. Something is always being hit. Uh, that I know for sure. Yeah, you know, uh, since you came on, our, uh, our feed to Blog Talk uh, has been cut somehow, and we can't reconnect it, and it's not, not a big deal. We just uh, upload the audio later. And, you know, we wonder why that is a lot of times, you know, what's going on. But back to the Giants, because you got me very interested. Um, I've read um, people having experiences like what you described to even reading about um, there was a few obscure articles about when, I don't know if it was the, the uh, Desert Storm or if it was the latest Iraq invasion in 2003, where uh, apparently, and, and this is a, a, a story I read, there were uh, some soldiers who who went into this cavern, and I don't know what they were looking for, but it came across you know what you described a very tall giant, and, it, and the article gets into detail about how a few soldiers got caught up by it and it ripped their arms off, killed them, you know, and um, when you read those things, you, you you wonder, and when you see the, the the many documentaries from you know about Atlantis, and you read Plato and uh, to what the Bible says and to, you know, the book of Enoch and so many of these, um, what are considered extra biblical texts. 
everything that I've learned and, and that the Lord has shown me and that I understand is exactly what you said. The giants have been on earth, and we know that in the end times that there is an army coming up from the earth that will, um, you know, continue to to pick up where the giants left off with the destruction of mankind, destroying everything in their path. And to discount this is doing a disservice to yourself, especially, like you said, to taking the Bible literally. And I believe that's, you know, we have to take the Bible literally. So I guess the question is, uh, and you, you talked about the fear, that that's very important, and the time. And that has me curious about the time. Would you say that the time was related to um, something like uh, what we, we read about when Jesus found the naked man, the naked men in the tombs that were, uh, you know, had a, were demonically possessed, then they drove the spirits out into the pigs. They said, did you come to torment us before our time? Do you think it's related to time in that sense? Like something like a um, second coming is, is, is in the very near future? Or is it something else? I, I absolutely, right there, I, you hit it right on the head. That scripture right there, because that's the one that the Holy Ghost uh, really amplified for me. Because they in the demonic realm... In the so we're dealing with spirits now. A giant, to my belief, to my understanding, he it's a it's a flesh body, but it's mingled, commingled with a demonic spirit in this fleshly body. So here we they have a um, they have a little more sense as to what's going on in the spiritual realm as opposed to a regular all natural one hundred percent human being. Okay, so. They, just like in that scripture, that demon, even though he had possessed that person, the demon knew that, wait, wait, you can't torment, please don't torment me yet. It's not time. Like, come on, give me a break. He knew that it wasn't quite the time yet. So mm-hmm. they know something in their, in their, in their way of keeping their time. Yeah, and there's seven calendars on the planet right now. You know, the Gregorian calendar, the Julian calendar, the Chinese calendar. We can go down the list. They know something in their spiritual calendar. They know when that exact season of time is. And just like a lot of Christians today, who's the ones that are awake, we know that we're living in the last days. We don't know what day Jesus is coming. We don't know that. No. But we know we're in the last days. We know time is ticking. This, this, and they sense it too. So they must know something that, hey, you know what? At some certain point, this thing is about to get wide, is going to kick wide open, and they're going to, they're going to make their appearance and come out of these little underground bunkers and their little tunnels and their little system. They're going to come out like we would look at an ant, a bunch of ants coming out of a, a, a anthill. And when they come out, the believers, we have to really be prepared spiritually. We have to know that we have authority in Jesus' name. We can pray these things away. We can rebuke them. We can bind them in the name of Jesus Christ. And we can, we have that authority to do that thing, these things. The, the Lord actually showed me something on a walk because I was very concerned after this particular um, episode in my life. I was on a walk and I'm asking the Lord, like, should I, invest in AR in AR <laughs> AR fifteens with three oh eight rounds because I actually had a friend of mine who had a similar uh, a dream and it's a futuristic dream that he had and he wasn't the thing that was amazing he wasn't somebody who was well versed on the subject of giants but he's a Christian and he told me that what was co- what's coming people aren't going to want any other bullet besides 308 or bigger. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. And he said, that's what he's seen. He said, 308 rounds are going to be like 
like gold. And I was like, wow. But saying that to say this, the Lord showed me on a walk. I was walking through the woods, and he said, if we have the faith, we can do just like Moses did when Moses threw down his rod and it became a snake and it ate the other snakes. We can literally look at that big old dead log in the forest and we can lay hands as believers and say, in the name of Jesus, turn into a snake and get that giant. And guess what? It can happen. And that's where God wants us to be with our faith in the days coming. We we got we got to be ready to say, hey, Lord, we're putting this in your hands because there's some things we're not going to be able to handle. And me personally, I don't know if I can get into a fist fight with a 15-foot dude. I really don't know. I, I tried it when I was in high school with a dude who was six foot nine, and I'm six foot one, and that didn't work out so good. <laughs> Yeah, what you're talking about, and I think that this is the most important, is the spiritual preparedness aspect of things. Because we know, just from what the scriptures say, and forget about the giants, and forget about all the things that people might not believe. Just think about how the end times is described. You have, you know, what's written in Matthew 24, the famines, the, the natural disasters, the violence, the, what you mentioned earlier, you know, family turning on each other, uh, you being delivered up to be killed for your faith the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, the persecution of Christians, just those things alone. And, and then the supernatural aspect of what's going to happen in the tribulation period, uh, you know, from God shielding his people, saving his people, and, uh, you know, protecting his people from those forces of, of the Antichrist and darkness that are going to be hunting and pursuing them uh, all throughout this time period. We have to be, first and foremost, more important than water, more important than food, more important than guns, bullets, gold, silver, whatever, is the spiritual preparedness aspect of this. Because as you said, um, that that is going to be our our main source of protection, is our own relationship with the Lord, our own spiritual preparedness, and how the Lord uses us during these times will depend on how uh, our relationship with the Lord and how uh, spiritually prepared for things we are. And nothing. I mean, yeah, that, and you I, don't have. If you're not prepared spiritually, there's no point to prepare for any other, uh, you know, eventuality. Especially when you're talking about the tribulation. Um, well, it, it's just very important. It. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. And I, I like. I want to make sure the leader, leader the readers, the listeners just get this from me. I say readers because I know some of you may look at read my book, <laughs> but it, it's one of those things where if we just do the basics. When I say the basics, yeah, of course, accept Jesus as our Savior. And, uh, of course that, but I'm talking about when we do the basics that he shows us about praying in agreement. When Jesus says, if two, if two or three are gathered in my name, or, or else when he says, when we touch and agree and pray on anything, it should be done of our Father in heaven. When we start doing the basics, there's so much power in that. I mean, we just dodged a major bullet, even though there's still trials and tribulations to come, with the very presidency. That was God, a sovereign God, answering the prayers of his people. There was praying and fasting going on, and God showed it, just like he's, he's done in the Bible, that he said, okay, they're, ah, they're praying and they're fasting, all right, and they're all, oh, a lot of them are doing it. Okay, I'll answer them. He moved his hand, but we got to keep our pedal on the metal now, because the powers of darkness, they're not exactly happening with this shift going in the country of it trying to go to righteousness. It, they're not exactly going to just roll over and give up. 
No way. That's not how it works. This is just like this is just like the um, dealing with the mob. If you've seen these gangster movies, these guys they plan, then they figure out a way to come back and hit back hard. And we as believers, we got to be on our p's and q's, praying in agreement. There's so much power in it. I have a, a friend of mine who just who migrated here from Syria of all places. Him and his wife, they became Christians. They grew up Muslim. They became Christians in Syria. Not exactly a, a good thing on the popularity movement over there. And sure enough, persecution came. And one day, him and his wife were in town, and they were gonna. They had to walk and go somewhere else. And they saw a bunch of people who knew they became Christians, and they knew if those people got a hold of them, it was going to be over. And him and his wife prayed, they touched and prayed in agreement, just like the Bible says. They did it on faith. And sure enough, when those people walked past them, those people were supernaturally blinded. They did not see the man and his wife. They were blinded. They didn't see him. They walked right past them. And that's what the supernatural work, that's what God does. He answers prayer, but we still have to do our part. We have to read his word and, and see some of the basics in his word. Um, one of the strongest powers that we have as, as believers, as Christians, is fasting. Fasting, when you do that, I mean, that really gets the door open to the supernatural realm. When you are willing to put down the cheeseburgers, put down the steaks, put down the french fries, when you're willing to put down the food and just say, Lord, I, I really want to hear from you. I really want you to move in my life. You know, and don't get me wrong, I know some people, you may have a health issue that you can't, okay, well, Brother Keith, I can't fast with no food, you know. Well, do, then do fruits and veggies and water. You know, just modify it to the best of your ability. But the ones of you, of you that are listening that can fast, there's so much power in it, and that's where, what we have to do. Joe, I had an experience fasting, and let me tell you in the preparedness world, because I'm a prepper, it's drilled in our head, that the rule of threes, that you can go three minutes without oxygen, three days without water, and was it, no, three days without, uh, yeah, three days without yep. water, and three weeks, three weeks with no, three weeks with no food. That's what's told in the prepping world, okay? Because we've heard that from ex-military and nurses. Let me tell you something. As a prepper, I've heard it for years. But why not? The Lord had me go on a fast. He told me I needed to fast because there was a couple things he wanted me to do. Now, up to this point, I've fasted maybe five days maximum. I never went beyond that. And he told me to go on a fast, which was beyond three weeks. So that's just to give you a hint on how long I was fasting. It was beyond three weeks. When I got to the 19th day, Joe, I thought I was going to die. I was at a point my wife looked at me. I couldn't, I couldn't even get up off the couch. And I was still drinking water, but I couldn't move. I was, and she was that worried about me. And I just prayed a simple prayer. I said, Lord, I know you like when we fast. And if you really want me to fast beyond three weeks and really do this long fast, Lord, I'm going to need you to do something or else it's going to be a problem. I need your help right now. Joe, I went to sleep that night. I woke up in, and I was in an office. In an office, two big, tall guys, one of them Caucasian, one of them black. They came over, had a conversation with me, and we're talking. They were very nice guys. But the, the one of them, the, one of them looked like something out of a, a, a commando movie. He he was tall and mean and muscles. The other guy was real friendly. But long story short, they had a nice conversation with me. They pulled out a Ziploc bag of some food. I was like, it's a Ziploc bag. 
and they, and they were snacking on it. They said, you want some? I said, sure. And they gave me some. They said, consider it a gift. I was like, it is, yeah. They said, yeah, God is proud of you. Just consider it a gift. So I start eating this white powdery stuff, and I, I'm, I'm feeling energized. It tastes a little bit like honey and oats mixed, and I was just like, it's pretty neat, neat stuff. And I'm thinking it's just a little dream, and I'm just here talking, chit-chatting with the guys. Joe, when I woke up, I woke up in my bed. The food was still in my mouth. Now I want the listeners to understand what I said. The food was still in my mouth when I woke up. I freaked out. I thought I was so hungry I was eating my pillowcase. That's what I thought. I was like, <laughs> what the heck did I eat my pillowcase? What's going on here? I was scared. And sure enough, I got up, I ran and told my wife what happened. My wife says, you idiot. They gave, Those were angels. They gave you manna. They gave you manna. And I... I said, honey, they must have gave me manna. I felt like a million dollars, Joe. If you told me to run from North Carolina to Pennsylvania at that moment, I could do it without even thinking twice about it. That's how good I felt. Okay? That's amazing. I'm letting the listeners understand that this is not a game. Jesus is real. The miracles are real. If you reach out to them, fasting is one of our quickest ways to enter into the supernatural. And with some of the stuff that's coming down this pipeline towards us, because I'm fearful in a, in a healthy sense, because a lot of Christians are letting their guard down because Donald mm-hmm. Trump won the election. They're letting their guard down, and now is the time we got to put our pedal to the metal in what we do with our prayer life. Because if we let our guard down... The evil is going to bubble back up really hard, and we can't let our guard down now. We have to push forward because they are angry, and we need to still be praying. All the praying that we did before the election, we got to keep doing it because this is a heavyweight fight, and that boxer on the other end who we just knocked down is about to get back up really mad. (laughs) You go ahead, Joe. (laughs) Yeah, and, um, you know, you, you make some great points. Excuse me about the uh, the prayer. One, one thing that I have seen is now that Trump's in office, a lot of people have put their feet up, have, have sat back and, and relaxed, and that creates an atmosphere for you know things to to creep back in. People aren't paying as much attention. They don't have their their finger on the pulse like they did before. They don't, as you said, the, the prayers uh, you know kind of go dwindle off and and one thing during this election i saw more so than any other election is the amount of people that prayed on the internet comment sections under uh you know all these different articles in the on different forums uh so many people said you know that they were hitting their knees and praying and i would gather i would imagine that many of them weren't christians from the amount i i saw over this last election cycle and, and you're exactly right. Now is not the time to take our foot off the gas. Now is not the time to, uh, you know, think that we can uh, take time off from our spiritual life or a spiritual walk. There is never a good time to take off from your spiritual walk because you leave yourself open and, and you know, those around you to uh, attack. And we know that the enemy never sleeps and is always looking for an opportunity such as somebody, um, you know, slacking off in their spiritual walk to to strike and that's all it takes is is for uh, us not to be alert specifically in our spiritual life in our spiritual preparedness and in our spiritual walk and it, and it's so important that people understand this because um we could end up in a much worse situation than we were in before the election or 
you know, pick your your time period, and, and that's historically what happens. The people are given you know, time. Uh, they take that as as an indicator that everything's going to be okay from here on out, when it never is, and that leads to a worse destruction than what they were facing the first time around. And that's very important that people uh, understand that. Um, and if it's not our nation you're concerned about, make sure it's it's your own and your family's own spiritual health. Because, as again, as I said, you you start slacking in areas, and the enemy will take that as an opportunity uh, to strike. And there's no sure, you know, the Bible says that um, no weapon formed against us will prosper. And I say this often, it doesn't mean that no weapon will be formed against you or attempted to be used. So we have to be mindful of that. You know what? You hit it right on the head. And, um, you know, I, I sum it up like this. I tell people the best thing you can do is to let people see Jesus in you. That's the mm-hmm. best thing you can do. Even today, with all the the nonsense, we know we've got um, certain groups and elements that are funded to stir up the dis, the racial dis, dis, the racial discontent. Um, there's so many people, you know, who are trying to start a civil war as well as civil unrest. We know there's people in a finance. There's an evil hand with a demonic financial hand behind some of these things. We know this, and this is where we have to do our best as Christians. We have to really show that face of Jesus with people. I mean, I'm, I'm an African American guy. I go into gun shows throughout the South. I go to gun shows. I, I set up booths there and I sell my books and sometimes survival goods. I go to gun shows. In I call out Tennessee, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina. I do gun shows in some of the most backwood country places. I've been to places where they stay, say stereotypically, there's no black people and there's never going to be any black people in some of these areas. And But here's the thing. Because I walk with the spirit of Jesus Christ, I go into these places where I might be the only black face in that place and dudes who may have been racist, by the time I'm done with that gun show, they're my friend. These guys will have my number, I'll have their number. They'll call me personally, instead of calling their own pastor, they'll call me personally for me to pray for them. Because they didn't see my skin look color, they started seeing Jesus in me. And that's the same flip I would tell all the listeners out there. You may think that you might go into a certain neighborhood that, yeah, okay, it might be all Mexicans, it might be all black guys. You may not know that they're they're looking for some light. They're looking for someone who's going to really represent Jesus to them. And when when people experience Jesus through you, you don't understand the type of wall that can really break down. I I, I had I was in a, the presence once of an ex British SAS guy, and this is in my book. Um, this guy, I'm just saying he he's been through uh, he's been through it all. And he had he had every right to be mad at the world, mad at his government, everything for some of the things he's been through. And I just stayed in his face as much as he wanted to hit me, and he was real enough to hit me. I just kept telling him, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And he just started, kept dropping the F-bombs at me. And I just said, man, Jesus loves you, brother. He loves you. He died for you. He loves you. And I stayed right in his face arguing with him, kept telling him how Jesus loves him for about five minutes. And eventually, instead of punching me in my face, the guy just broke down and started crying right there in front of me, a grown man. And you know what? That's the power 
that Jesus has, because Jesus is bringing real love to people. That's the, what we have to do. We gotta, we're gonna break these devils and these people out here trying to cause all this civil, civil disobedience. We have to break them with love, with the love of Christ. That's Amen, the Pastor. way we break them. Don't mean to cut you off, but we're up against the break. Uh, when we come back, if we can, we'll get into, uh, your ministry and your book, The, the Prepper and the Preacher, A Spiritual Survival Guide. We'll be right back. Stay with us. back, ladies and gentlemen, to our third and final hour on this edition of the Hagman Report. We are talking with Pastor Keith Iden, and he is uh, not only a minister, a pastor, he is a, a prepper and an author who wrote the book, The Prepper and the Preacher, A Spiritual Survival Guide. You can find that on Amazon. His website is also foodsurvivalstore.com. Pastor Keith, um, we got two segments left this last hour. Um, I want to kind of turn this over to you if you want to get into your book. Anywhere we want to go, we can continue to um, have a discussion. We've covered a lot of ground. You've told us some incredible stories and given us um, a lot of uh, spiritual insight. And uh, we're getting some, some great feedback. I'm going to have to get your email after we're done to, to forward you some of this stuff. Um, but go where you want to go. Uh, how long do we have? So that way I can I can pace myself quickly. <laughs> Well, we have uh, 26 minutes till the next break, and then after that, uh, 26 minutes uh, till we we go out. Okay. All right. Well, we can go so many different places, but um, though um, this chapter is in my book, the Spirit of Wisdom versus Spirit of Fear. Now, the, the Spirit of Wisdom that's from God. It, a lot of people who read your Bible, you'll know that the Spirit of Fear that's not from God. You know, perfect love casts out fear. For those of you who know those scriptures. What we need as people in the United States, especially in the prepper community, we need a spirit of wisdom. I see a lot of people prepping, but they have no wisdom. And, Joe, that is so dangerous. Mm -hmm. I mean, wisdom, discernment. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it, you see some people, you know, they're prepping for whatever scenario, you know, because not all preppers are Christians. Let's just understand it. We know there's atheists who are preppers. You know, there's Muslims who are preppers. There's uh, Buddhists who are preppers. I've, I've met them all. So it, it, there's a lot of people who just know where they should be prepared because they see that we're on a, they see that we're on the Titanic in a sense. And not to be a fatalist, I, I, I believe that God has given this country a reprieve. But from my view, what I'm, what the Lord's showing me, if we as the Christians don't keep up the prayer. And stay as stay as humble as we were before the election, because we got real humble. A lot of people were praying, fasting. If we keep up the prayer and stuff, God can keep that reprieve going for a while, and don't let, let some of these horrible things that's going to come. He could slow it down. But we let our foot off the gas, and you know, how when you let your foot off the gas, the car loses momentum. So here we are in this situation that we can't lose this momentum because what happens is instead of using that wisdom from God, we start having this spirit of fear creep in. And the spirit of fear is a, a real crafty spirit because there's people make some of the stupidest mistakes when they get fearful. 
and that that's one thing I, I I don't want any of the listeners to ever. I don't want that to happen to anyone, and I don't want that to happen to people in the future. You know, we're going to see some. There's going to be some events that happen um, during this this presidency. I, I I'm trying to choose my words correctly because I know some things the Lord has showed me. We will see some calamities happen. Some things are going to go down, but I'm telling you. It could have been much worse, i.e., having Russia just bomb us to the Stone Age. Okay, and I know you heard a lot of people come on your show that the Lord has spoken to them or seen that vision. It, it, that, it's going to happen, but it's up to us that we keep praying. The Lord can put that off for quite a long time, and this is all up to us with our praying as long as we hum- as much as our, we humble ourselves. Um, with with the wisdom aspect of things. When you're having God order your life, things can always turn out much better with what you're doing. You know, if you're prepping or you're saying, okay, Lord, you start putting him first and everything, and say, Lord, okay, I don't have much money, but I think I should be prepping. What should I do? You know, he'll start guiding you because you're you're starting to put him in charge of your finances. And when you start getting that spirit of wisdom, there's going to be times where the Lord will say, okay, go bring some money to that homeless shelter. Go help out some of those homeless people. It may look weird in your natural mind. Trust me, I'm telling you, trust me, go ahead and do it. Because there's major blessings that show up down the road for you. I've been in those situations where I've given homeless shelters, I've given them food or supplies out of my personal pocket, not looking for anything in return. And then I turn around, I get a check for a large amount of money out of nowhere, made directly to me as a blessing and I'm like how did that happen and that's type of stuff I want the, the listeners to understand that even though we're going into tough days coming ahead when you build that relationship with God and you really want to move with wisdom he's going to honor that he'll really help you out I, I've heard it from a, a, one of my mentors this man told me because I asked him the question I said well, well when the tough times really hit this country what do we do because I don't want to I'm not trying to just to shoot anybody or do anything like that he said son number one you put God first this is an old man telling me this he said if someone comes to your door and things are really bad in the country and they're knocking on your door and they're asking for food before you answer that door son you pray to the Lord and say God I want to do the right thing by this person answering the door. But if you don't want me to answer the door, please let me know. Give me wisdom for what to do with this situation right now. And he said, my, my friend told me this. He said, you know what? When you operate like that, God will honor you every time because you're putting him first. You're not doing anything out of your natural mind. You're not moving with a spirit of fear. I've heard it from some preppers, Joe. Some preppers have said, well, you know what, man? I'll tell you this much, Pastor. If things get bad... I'm just going to shoot anybody that walks on my property line. I'm just going to shoot them. I said to this one guy who told me that, I said, yeah, so what if it's a seven-year-old kid? He said, well, uh, he, 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 he should, uh, well, you're just, you're, Pastor, you're just splitting hairs. I said, no, that makes you a murderer. If you're just going to shoot pop a seven-year-old kid, suppose his parents were killed and murdered, and he's just looking for some water. You're just going to shoot him because he walked on your property? I said, you need to work, move with the spirit of wisdom. That's what you want to move with. So that little kid might turn out to be a blessing. You never know. What if the, what if the old folks down the street, they, they need help? You're going to just turn them away and you say you're a Christian? I said, do you know something? With the spirit of wisdom, I'm, I'm not to be funny, but old people, they normally stay up late at night. You could have them at your house and guess what? They're up all night while you're sleeping. So guess what? They can be your eyes and ears while you're sleeping. I mean, you got to learn to look at it from a different perspective instead of just having a spirit of fear. 
And no, you're absolutely right. Where? Go ahead, man. <laughs> no, I just want to to make sure we we um, expand this a little bit because on this show, since the beginning, since we started. Um, this has been a topic of, of debate uh, to a degree, not debating on whether you should pray or not, but some people have a hard time um, trying to understand or uh, to think about how when you're in a situation where it might be life or death, taking that, that time to stop and praying uh, or to stop and to, to say a prayer and to ask for guidance, it's almost like uh, you, you get a lot of resistance to that, not because people don't want to do the right thing or don't want to pray. It's because they believe, you know, it's a snap decision. You either make the right or wrong decision, and prayer really doesn't enter into the equation it, through the thought process of somebody in a situation like that where it's, the you know, the fight-or-flight response. But we have to, to dial back our emotions because our emotions, they can be positive. At the same time, they can... Uh, be add to negative consequences if we let the negative emotions impact our decision making and as you just stated one way to do that is to take a few seconds to stop and ask the lord for guidance uh, especially if you're you know in a situation where you're unsure whether it, it is a threat or if it is uh, something else it could be, even be a blessing but to just treat every situation uh, you know, as the example you used, oh, I'm just going to, uh, you know, shoot people who step on my property. That's not ideal or realistic. So uh, I think it's important that people need to understand that our emotions can be a hindrance to us, and they can help us at times. But regardless, we can't work off our own emotions. We have to work off, and what you're saying is we have to work off the, the wisdom and discernment that the Lord gives us, and we have to ask for that, uh, situational and otherwise. Absolutely. I, 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 and just, uh, just for some of the some of the listeners out there, if you do support my book, I'm gonna try. I'm trying to give you stories and scenarios that are not in the book, so that way you won't be like, "Well, I already heard this part." So that way, when you, you are listening to the Hagman Show, you're getting a treat. <laughs> Look, I'll give you an example of spirit of wisdom. I had a situation where there was a young man named Bobby. Um, he came by our, our fellowship, our church, and we're, we're a small church in North Carolina, and, you know, and I, I actually, I preach all over the place, so I'm not just limited to North Carolina, but, you know, this is my home base for now. Um, this young man, he came, he said, you know, he was down on his luck, he, you know, went through all kind of stuff in his life, you know, you, you've heard the story before. So... I wasn't quite sure about the guy, but I prayed about it constantly, like, Lord, I don't know what's up with this guy, but I don't want you to be upset with us for not helping him. So you gotta show, you gotta expose everything if we're supposed to help this guy financially or whatever. So, you know, we helped him a bit. We, you know, helped him out a couple times financially and stuff like that he may need to help him try to get on his feet. And, one day I was going to sell one of my prized rifles. I was going to sell it at the gun show, my personal possession, and I was going to use it to help him put down, to help him get an apartment, to try to help him get a, get his feet up. And I wanted to show you something. I prayed about it that morning. I said, Lord, I really want to do the right thing, but I don't want to be taken for a sucker. And I really want to make sure you, you, you're, you're with this decision because I could use that money for something else. I'm, I was being very, very honest with God. And 
let me tell you, I looked out of my window that morning after praying that prayer. I looked out of my window. I seen a bobcat. Uh, and when I say a bobcat, I seen a bobcat at a at a abnormal size. Now, bobcats normally grow the size of a small dog. But this particular bobcat that I seen, it was as big as a mountain lion. It was one of those 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 uh, one of those freak anomalies in nature. You know when they say they found a cat a catfish that's six feet long, and they because it was found in like pristine waters, no one ever fished. It was one of those situations. This bobcat was the size of a mountain lion, and I said, "Whoa!" But this bobcat was creeping through my yard. Very stealthy and sneaky, just creeping through my yard. And the size of them, huge. And I knew that was a sign from the Lord showing me, watch out for this guy. He's being sneaky. And sure enough, I said, no, I'm not going to give him the money for the, from this rifle for an apartment. And don't you know the Lord exposed him the next day that he was using the money from the church to still do drugs? Now, uh-huh. this is what I'm trying to show people. We want to move with the spirit of wisdom if you pray to God and you go to him with some of these because what's coming in the future for us we're going to be in a lot of situations where we might think hey man this is a real gray area I might have to you know do something unbiblical here to this person well just make sure whatever you do you pray about it you go to the Lord first even if I know there might be times where there might you have to make a quick decision but at least if you started the day early in the morning or started the day with prayer first and say hey God Please bless this day and guide my steps. I don't want to do anything that's going to upset you. He's going to honor that, too. So at least if that split decision moment comes where it's like, whoa, what do I do? He's going to help you with that in that quick situation. He could send an angel. He could send something divine to happen. I mean, whatever God wants, he can do it. And we can't we can't limit God. God is he doesn't live in a box. And the problem with human beings, we're so quick to put him in a Nike shoe box and try to fit him to our shoe size. And it doesn't work like that with God. He's pretty big. Yeah, I mean, is that uh part of the the human condition, if you want to call it that, is to I guess it is cuz even the Bible talks about it. You know, and you mentioned you referenced earlier where it says uh, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Um, the putting the the Lord in limitations from our own human experience and perspective. I guess that's something that most people do, and the only way to counter that that I've learned is to um, is is to read the Bible and and to pray for you know the understanding of things. And one thing that's really interesting is no matter how many times you read the Bible. Or just to pick a book of the Bible, you always learn something new if you if you keep an open mind and if you and, and prayer is, is essential to reading the Bible more so than just reading the Bible because if you ask the Lord for understanding, if you ask Him to open up your eyes on on certain issues, it might not happen overnight. It might not happen that same week or month, but in my experience, it will happen uh, to to some degree, if not. To, to get a complete understanding of things. Some things aren't meant to be revealed before they happen, but there are many things that uh, there's no shortage of learning when it comes to, to prayer and, and the Bible and the, and the Holy Spirit and our walk with Him. So it is, um, you know, the, the foundational things you talked about, the spiritual preparedness, our, making sure our relationship is, is always on, on the right track with the Lord. It is very important to everything that we're talking about here today. It's absolutely crucial, and a part of it with that understanding, you know, we gotta, we have to increase our faith. 
because a part of us is, is in the preparedness community, uh, some of us lack the faith. We put everything in the carnal mind, and the Bible says the, a carnal mind is, en- is at enmity with God. So, you know, we don't want to always try to rely on everything and, well, I can figure it out myself. I do it myself and me, 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 me. So when you start to do me, 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 you're leaving out him, 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 and him. And that's a, that's a dangerous uh line the cross. You always want to have God uh, directing your path and your steps. Um, there's going to be some situations. Some of you are going through a situation right now that you may be in a tough situation financially. I've been there. I've been there. I walk. I walked in many of those situations. And God, if you if you really build that relationship with Him, He bails you out. He will bail you out. I, I've been in a situation. I, I mean, I, I saw some people the small stuff just as. Even the big, the big problems. I've, I've been in a situation where, uh, I had to, I had to, let's just say I had to come up with a, a certain amount of money on Monday or else I was going to be on the street. And mind you, I got a family. And I've been in that situation and I, I just said, Lord, you're going to have to take care of it. And sure enough, he'll push you to do something weird like, well, go to this place and go to this place and go to that place. And you do these things. And next thing you know, you don't know what just happened, but then you got all the money to pay your bills all of a sudden. It's just like one thing happens after another, and you knew it was something totally supernatural and divine because you couldn't have planned the day like that. You didn't even know it was going to work out like that. And I'm just saying that as an encouragement to some folks out there because I run into some people who want to prep. They feel the need to prepare, but they're strapped financially. And you understand, God, He can provide for you so many different ways. He does, He's not limited. He's not broke. God has many different ways to take care of you and to help you out, help you out of your situation. And I've, I've been in those situations and I wanted, I just want to always leave that to encourage people that don't, don't sit there and just look at the negative. If you just learn to have a thankful attitude, say, hey God, you know, uh, I'm in this situation here, but you know, I need your help. Well, start having some faith and have some people pray with you. Don't don't be the lone ranger. That's a dangerous thing for Christians to do. We like to do the the lone ranger thing sometimes because we're we're we're, we're prideful or we don't want to you know sit there and uh, show people our weak side. Nah, that's what the devil wants. He wants you to play the lone ranger because it's just like when you watch those nature videos and you see the, that herd of buffalo going through and those lions are surrounding the lions. They don't just jump in there on top of the big buffalo, no. They wait until that one little buffalo becomes a straggler way at the back by himself. And then they say, let's get him. And they pounce on that one. And that's the way it works in the supernatural world. The devil does the same thing. He just wants us to just go ahead. Oh, you know what? I don't need to have Bible study or church or even read the Bible. I'm just going to do things all about myself on my own. And that's what the devil wants, because when you take that attitude, that's when you're most vulnerable. And I, I don't want people to, to ever f- fall into that category, because that right there is one of the biggest tricks of the devil, especially in this day and age, with all, all, all the other nonsense we've, we've got going on. And real quick, that uh, situation, I, I've, I've heard some of this stuff in the past, you know, where people talk about the, the FEMA camps, and all the other stuff that's coming down the pike and all this stuff. And, look, I know some of this stuff is real. I'm not discounting it. But I want people to understand something, all right? God is not exactly blind. He knows what's going on. He sees it, okay? God has 
oh, he showed me this in scripture one day. Um, during a time of intense persecution during Elijah's day, there was this guy named Obadiah. Now, his job was to round up some of the prophets and help get some of them uh, rounded up, but he didn't, the king didn't know that he was actually taking the prophets Instead of having them killed, this guy would take them to some far-off cave somewhere and feed them and take care of them and look out for them. And this Obadiah character became a blessing to to Elijah as well. And I'm showing some of the guys listening to this right now. Remember this. You have, God has put certain people in government to protect us when these tough times come. There are certain people that God has ordered their steps. They might work for whatever three-letter agency, and you're like, oh, man, they're coming to do this and do that. God has literally put some Obadiahs in our government. There are some people that God has raised up for when the tough times come. They're not going to exactly just hurt, hurt a bunch of Christians into a concentration camp. They're going to be set up to exactly do the opposite. They may pretend they're following orders, but they're going to be doing the opposite and hiding you. And I just felt led to let some of the listeners listen to that because there's a lot of fear in the preparedness movement, but you don't, you, you gotta realize God is much smarter than you think. He, nothing gets past God. He sees all the plans of the enemy and he knows how to thwart them. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And, uh, one thing I, if I wanted to add when you talked about, um, you know, that the Lord will, will, will look out for you and bless you, especially when you're keeping him in, in mind and, and you, uh, are, are continuing to pray and asking for help and guidance is that it doesn't necessarily mean you know, you're going to get a check in the mail or it, it could be as simple as putting you in touch with the right people so that when the time comes um, you know you you can get help that way um, there's so many ways uh, that the Lord can bless people and I think the the more that time goes on in, in the culture we live in people only look for certain types of blessings when and they overlook other blessings because they're only looking for a certain type, whether it's monetary, whether it's companionship, whatever it may be. And we have to understand that we don't always get what we want. And what we always what we want isn't always what's best for us. And and nobody understands that better than the Lord. So we we can't be closed minded um about things and dismiss things because we could be dismissing exactly what it is we've been praying for. Just it's not appearing to, to to come to us in that way, so we have to to continue to to move forward and and as you said, build our faith because without that faith, we will um, you know continue to put the Lord in the box. We will continue to overlook things that uh, might be the answer to to everything that we've been looking to, to find. So that's very important. Yeah, and let me let, let's take it back to the supernatural now. We, I got some uh, uh, a lot of preppers out there who I've encountered. Now this is where they uh, I had to like really get to some preppers and really talk to them when I'm when some of these different scenarios will come up. And some of this is in my book. Some of it I'm gonna tell you. The, I'm gonna try to tell the story that's not in my book. Um, they've got some people out there. You know you're. You're preparing, you want to get a preparedness group, you know, you want to get the right people in your your prepper group and all this stuff. And, look, I have nothing against that. I'm like, hey, that's cool if that's what you're allowed to do, whatever. But, you know, they don't understand that we're dealing with uh, some supernatural situations that's coming. So 
here you go. Let's just say you get a preparedness group, and then there's some people say, well, now we got our preparedness group. Let's go have it. We're going to have our, our, our bug-out place. We're going to have it deep in the forest here, or let's put it in this abandoned cemetery. Right out there, we're going to have our bug-out place. And uh, and trust me, I've met, I've met these, some of these preppers. They have some real creative ideas of where they're going to have their bug-out place and stuff like that. You know, the, the, the bug-out place is the place you go where times get tough or civil unrest or martial law, blah, blah, blah. That's what the bug-out place is for, okay? Um, what rule of law goes out the window, you know, et cetera. But here goes the thing on this, 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 one, this one lesson. Uh, People have to understand that you don't just rest your head anywhere, okay? Um, we have a situation right now where we have a lot of veterans, and I've prayed with many veterans, and I, I, whenever the Lord leads them in my path, I, I try to help them and pray with them and help them whatever they're going through. There's a lot of veterans that's coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq, and some of them have post-traumatic disorder and other things going on. And the Lord showed me something one day, because I was kind of confused. I ran into some soldiers who seen combat, and they had a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder and stuff, but there were some other soldiers who didn't see any combat. They were, I'm not belittling anybody, I'm just saying, they were like maybe uh, working on a, trucks the whole time, or peeling potatoes in the kitchen or the mess hall. They didn't see any bloodshed or combat, but yet they came back with some PTSD, like like serious stuff going on. And what the Lord showed me is, it's it's like this: if I offered you, Joe, let's just say, Joe, I offered you a free, all expense paid vacation to the tropical destination of your choice. I offered it to you, absolutely free. Free food, free lodging, free everything. The only catch is the resort that I'm sending you to, you have to take the hotel room. It's a very nice suite, but it was also the scene of a grisly murder that happened a few years ago. 20 people were killed inside that hotel room, but, I mean, they cleaned it up. They washed all the blood and everything. It's all cleaned up. But you just have to take that room because nobody else wants to stay in that room. Would you still want that vacation, Joe? <laughs> I don't know, me and my wife would probably be arguing about that one. Uh, but no, that would, uh, definitely add some, um, some, some, uh, needing to be thinking and, and talking it out. But no, I mean, your first response is no, of course not. And why wouldn't of, anybody of want course. the room still if it, there was nothing wrong with it? Would be my question. Okay. Now, see, I've asked believers like yourself, I've even asked atheists that question, and even an atheist, something in his spirit says, no, nah, I don't want it, man, there's something, there's some bad energy there. And, and that's actually the truth, because what happens is, the places of Iraq and Afghanistan, a lot of people don't understand that these were the same exact grounds where some of the bloodiest battles have taken taken place in history. People like Alexander the Great, um, people of, obviously we know Saddam Hussein, but I'm talking about people from Attila the Hun, Alexander the Great, and others, Genghis Khan. People have had these battles on those same exact lands going back to time of antiquities, and I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of bodies have been laid out there unburied and just laid out there for the birds to peck on. This is has, has, has yes. hold that thought. We're up against the break. We're gonna. This is interesting because I want to. I have some thoughts. We're gonna pick up right here when we come back on the other side, folks. You're listening to Pastor Keith Iden on this edition of the Hagman Report, author of The Prepper and the Preacher, A Spiritual Survival Guide. We'll be right back.
Ladies and gentlemen, to our final segment on this edition of the Hagman Report, our guest is Pastor Keith Iden. His website, foodsurvivalstore.com. His book, The Preacher and I'm sorry, The Prepper and the Preacher: A Spiritual Survival Guide. And he has been with us for the last hour and a half. Um, we've covered a lot of ground. And before the break, um, Pastor posed a question about, you know, would you take a free vacation? The only catch is you have to stay in a room where uh, there was sub- previously there was uh, murders that took place. I'm talking about the you know the energy, the vibe, the history of the room, and then we went from there to you know the the history of the the Middle East and the battlegrounds and the and you were relating that to PTSD and soldiers. Uh, please continue, Pastor. Okay, so where we left off, most people when I asked that question, if they would take the hotel room. A free vacation, all expense paid, five-star resort. The only catch is uh, there was a scene of a grisly murder. Ten people died in that hotel room. But the hotel room, the carpet is clean. They replaced, they got the blood off the walls. You can just, you know, just have to take that room because nobody else wants that room. That's the only catch. And I've asked that question, and 10 out of 10, atheists as well as Christian has said no thank you even a Muslim I have a good friend of mine who's a Muslim he said no way because <laughs> he recognizes it too he said no I would not take that room and see what happens through Iraq Afghanistan these regions a lot of people don't know but people actually people over there who are into uh, understanding the supernatural realm I'm not going to say witches because there's a lot of different beliefs but there are witches in Afghanistan and Iraq as well they need to understand this. Our soldiers, the United States soldiers, British soldiers, when they were resting their heads in some of these places, in some of these lands, even though they haven't touched, went into any firefights, when they rest their heads on some of these places, these were the sites of battles that took place years ago from many different um uh, leaders and mercenaries from years past, from Ale- Alexander the Great, uh, Genghis Khan, uh, you name it. These were the, these lands literally had battles that took place where hundreds of thousands of people were just laid out. Back in those days, they, they weren't like us where they said, okay, well, let's go ahead and just get a bulldozer and we push all the dirt up and then just bury these mass graves in this body or then throw, um, you know, throw diesel fuel and try, try to burn it up for ash. Back then, they would just say, hey, we won the battle. And these battle, these body parts and these people were just staying out there by the hundreds of thousands. All that blood sleeps, seeps into the ground. Then becomes a spiritual aspect because if you remember your Bibles, people, when Adam, after Adam had his sons, Cain and Abel, Cain slew Abel, God said to Cain, where is Abel? His blood cries to me from the ground. Okay, and as well as when you read a reference Revelation, and the blood of the martyrs are speaking out, to, speaking out to God, God Himself. When blood is shed on earth, and we're talking about when it seeps into the little earth, little earth, there is a spiritual implication 
And when we're talking, that's why it's, it, there's so many, it's, this goes very deeper, but I'm putting it in layman's terms. There's spir- a spiritual implication to some of these things because you're dealing with unclean spirits. So what happens, because these bodies and that land was never prayed over, no one prayed over it, no one buried the bodies, etc. The spiritual implications are, 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 are off the Richter scale. So some of these soldiers, they come back from these battle places, some of them not even in a one firefight. They didn't see anything gruesome, didn't, go, uh, didn't have a, uh, an IED blow up near them, nothing. They're coming back with some of the same symptoms as some of their fellow soldiers who were in battle. And then when I, I, the Lord started quickening me to this, I start meeting some of these guys at gun shows and stuff, and I'm praying over them. I'm seeing that a demon literally jumped on some of these guys, and it requires a spiritual treatment. And for us as the as the Christians, the believer in Jesus, we have the authority to help people with these situations. We can lay hands on them, pray over them, and cast these demons off of them, and clean and tell them to leave them and stop confusing these people. And and let and and you see the suicidal spirits that come along with it. We can bind it up in Jesus' name and say, "Get lost, go in the name of Jesus, and never come to this person again." And you be surprised at some of the results you will see on some of these soldiers. But what's going on in the preparedness community, some of these people who are prepping, they're willy-nilly just prepping and putting their bug-out location on in some of the, the places that you would not want to do that in terms of um, spiritual warfare. They're putting it in old Indian burial grounds. Some people are putting bug-out locations at old cemeteries or old cemetery houses. And I'm, I'm looking at you like, what are you, are you kidding me? That's the worst place to put a bug out location because yeah, you might have you might have escaped the, the, the whatever army coming at you, but then you have got a whole different army in the unseen realm that you've got to deal with, and you just open yourself up to that. And that's one of the one of the things I, I put in this book because I've seen it, I'm witnessing it. I actually just um, was with a soldier recently, a veteran, same exact thing I'm talking about, and. The, what, what makes it, this particular guy interesting, not only did he have the symptoms, when he came back, he started even having the ability to see dead people. And I knew by the spirit this man was not crazy. I knew he was telling the truth because he was working as an EMT. And as he's working as an EMT, one day he went to a house. You know, EMT is the first on the scene. He went to a house where somebody did suicide. And when he came in the house and saw the dead body hanging, he looks in the corner, he sees this big old demon. And he freaked out, like, what the heck? And the demon realized he could see him, and the demon ran through the wall and disappeared. And this guy's like, okay, if I tell my supervisor, they're going to think I'm nuts. I can't tell anybody, but I've seen one of these things in Iraq, and now I see it here. What the heck is going on? (laughs) And when he told me about it, the Lord quickened me. I knew exactly what to pray for him. And sure enough, he's been fine ever since. But it's not me. I'm nothing special. It's just what God is using me. And he'll use any other person listening to this. Because it, the days the days and times that we're heading into, we need to start, we need to really increase our learning curve and take the Bible literally with some of the things that the Bible is teaching. We, we really have to really take it serious. I, I'm really, I'm just, Nailing that point home, we really have to be serious with our walk with God. This is not a time to play social hour. we got to be serious. You're exactly right. And, you know, when you're talking about the 
the implications of, of blood being spilled and, and crying out from the ground and the spiritual aspects of that. It reminded me of, um, I was fortunate enough to be able to attend what was called the Nephilim Mounds Conference. Now, this was in uh, Ohio, in Newark, Ohio, and there was a site there called the Newark Earthworks. And these are stretched out all through Tennessee and Ohio and, and um, the Midwest there are these, you know, what they call Nephilim Mounds or these mounds. And they have uh, these very interesting geological um, anomalies and, and altars and um, just things that, I guess from the history that they say there was giants here in America and they performed uh, rituals, if you will. And, you know, these were the sites where they performed these rituals. And, and on these sites and people who live around these sites, a lot of what's interesting is, you know, the history of serial killers that came out of this region and, and the other supernatural anomalies and, and thing, situations that have happened um, specifically, you know, in these regions. And that speaks to what you're talking about is the, uh, and what you mentioned about the people bugging out, uh, you know, to these the ancient Indian burial grounds and cemeteries. At that point, all the physical preps that that you've uh, had are going to be useless if you're in a situation where you're being spiritually attacked. Uh, and you might have escaped from the physical danger, the physical armies, but the spiritual aspect of it will be worse than the physical aspect of it uh, in, in these situations that you're describing. And that's important to realize and understand uh, because yeah, it just it's hard for me to even imagine uh, you know, what it's going to be like when these times do come. But the last thing you'd want is to think that you're A-OK, you're out of danger, uh, and you have your, your preps, and then find yourself in a situation where you're completely unprepared to fight the spiritual battle, which is obviously most important. Well, yeah, and that's and that's something that uh, um, some of the, the preppers of, the, of a carnal mindset, they, they're not looking at that spiritual side of prepping. They're not really grasping at how serious it is. They're like, well, yeah, well, you know, well, my, my, my grandma was a Christian, so I know I'm good. No, brother, it doesn't work like that. You are responsible for you. <laughs> doesn't matter if grandma was a Christian. She could have been in church every day praying to the Lord, you know, saying, oh, my baby, that's all nice for grandma. Grandma might be all right with God. What about you, your relationship with God? Because we're not, we're not getting in on anybody else's um, curtails. We've got... We got to get in on it. We're we're getting in on our own. So you know, your grandma could have been the nicest, God God fearing woman, but if you're a, literally a, a dirt bag, I'm just using streets streets street slang here. If you're just a dirt bag, and you think when you die, you're just going to get in because your grandma was such a great uh, had a great relationship with God, it doesn't work like that. You, you, the Bible says you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You got to work out your own relate, relationship with God. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where people can go into these situations and not recognize the spiritual aspect of things. So then, you, okay, you got a bug out location. Oh, yeah, we got our bug out location. Good. Plus, uh, uh, you know, all the major cities are on fire, but we're way off the We're fine. We're not worried about anything. We got food store. Water stored, we got guns, ammo, all that stuff. But then you got that one person in your crew who is psychotic. 
oh, oh, you got a bigger problem on that hand. And <laughs> even if that one person, that one person who's psychotic, let's just say on top of that, you, 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 your bug out location is on some, a place where there was some, some serious amounts of blood that was spilled on the land. You know, you're going to have a problem with the, in the supernatural realm in just a short amount of time. Because, like when I explained that analogy earlier with lions and they wait for that one little one to fall off, the spiritual realm, they know who, they'll know who the weak one in your group, in your crew is. They'll know. And that's the one they'll work on. They'll just work on that one. And if you're, if you poo-pooed at some of the things that's in, in the Bible, because if that person is psychotic or demonically possessed, which we're seeing a lot of that in this country right now, um, Guess what? That problem is going to rear its ugly head at some point. And you need to know as a, as a believer, as someone who's a, a follower of Jesus, you need to know that you have authority to pray things off this person, to lay hands on them, to rebuke some of the spirits that's on this person, the things that's making them psychotic. You know, you'll have the authority to pray and, and help this person get the, the healing they get. No, I'm not discounting natural medicines. I'm not going to discount that. I'm not saying that, oh, well, certain psychotropic drugs don't work. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying you have to be balanced because there are some psychotropic drugs that will not work on some of these spirits. There's some that might help, but there's some that will not work. And if it doesn't work, you're going to have a problem on hands because you're going to be faced with a situation, should I kill that person or do I wait till I'm sleeping for this person to kill me? And rather than it get to any of that, if you know how to pray effectively and use the Word of God in these situations, it won't have to get to that. And this is some of the things that I teach I teach in the book. I let people know that, hey, we're, we're in a serious time of warfare. I've seen uh, some people with some, some demonic things, Joe, where you would think it was out of the... the one of those t- the TV movie uh, uh, The Exorcist or something mm-hmm. like that I've seen that stuff in my face before stuff that I used to laugh at I used to think it was all make-believe and I'm being honest I was one of those guys like that that stuff is all make-believe ha 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 that was a good movie and when until you actually encounter it yourself and you literally see somebody, uh, they, they start speaking a demonic language from when it, whatever centuries ago, and, and they start slithering on the floor like a snake, and you're looking at their body, and you're seeing how the heck does a human body slither around like a snake? And then but when you know your authority, though, you can tell that demon, how did you get into this person? And this happened to a young lady. I witnessed this once. And I said to that demon, in the name of Jesus, answer me, how did you get into this person? And a demonic voice came out and said, I got into her through her mother. Uh-huh. And I, I, I tell you, I nearly freaked out, but luckily I knew the Lord was with me. And I just went, I got another pastor, and me and another pastor, we just prayed over this young lady, and we just told that demon to leave her in Jesus' name, never to return. And she's been fine ever since. And by the way, all the all the medications and drugs that she used to take, she's been clean, she's been off them ever since, too. So God totally supernaturally healed her mind and her body. But this is the type of stuff I would hate for someone who doesn't know this stuff to face this in the future when all hell breaks loose in the United States. And we're seeing a lot of demonic warfare now. Because, I mean, when you've got news, certain news organizations asking or suggesting the assassination of our leader, of our commander-in-chief, that is demonic in itself, and people can't even recognize that. that that's mm-hmm. beyond demonic. 
And this, this, this is the day and age that we're living in. Some people think it's actually okay. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, and we've been talking about this on our show, the level of of hate and anger, and m- many, most of it unjustified. Uh, it ha- There is definitely um, the dark spiritual element driving these thoughts, driving these ideas. Um, I don't know anybody who thinks of these things just by, you know, sitting around, uh, thinking about their day, thinking about their life, who just says, oh, I know, you know, let's go kill this person. There is definitely a, 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 a demonic and dark driver behind uh, a lot of these ideas. And it's not just, you know, atheists. This happens to Christians a lot. How many times have, have people been sitting around, you know, doing something, uh, one thing, and they get this, you know, idea in their head, well, how about you go do this? Um, it happens a lot. It's very subtle. And one of the things, you know, uh, we talk about here is is the subtlety of the devil and how he works. But I believe what we're talking about tonight is we're coming out of the realm of subtlety. And it's, it's going to get to a point where it is, as you described, in your face. And that's what people need to be prepared for. Pastor, before we, we go any further here, uh, we only got about 10 minutes left of the show. I have a few email questions um, I want to kind of throw at you here. Uh, to make sure I don't forget. One, uh, can you tell people what church you, you uh, preach at right now? We have a listener in North Carolina who believes that they are um, in your neck of the woods and want to know where you where you are. At the at the I I preach at the Sunrise Ministries in uh, Franklin, North Carolina, and that's at the moment because I do travel a lot. Um, I'm, I'm on the road quite a lot. I will come to someone's church if they invite me. I will come. Uh, I just pray about it. Say, Lord, do you want me to go? And if he says yes, I, I go. So I literally will be, uh, like, you know, a few weeks ago, I was in New York uh, preaching up there. And, you know, in, uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm supposed to be over in the United Kingdom. Because there's a lot of, believe it or not, there's a lot of preppers there, too. <laughs> so, okay. you know, I... I go where where the Lord leads me. I, I go, and I'm I'm not I'm a non-denominational uh, pastor. I don't I don't um, I'm not labeled to one denomination. I'm I try to be I try my best to just be by the book. Um, just say, hey, look, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. Because I'm a, I'm going to speak on that real quick. Um, yeah. We got so much arguments and division of the Christians here, and I'm telling, I'm going to say prophetically something that might rub some Christians the wrong way. God is going to, God's going to put an end to that. He's going to allow some certain events to happen in the United States. He's going to allow certain events to happen for us to put aside our petty divisions and to realize that we need each other. We're all brothers and sisters. We have to, we have to be with each other. I mean, the Hagmans, they have me on their show. They didn't look say, oh, well, he's a black dude. We're not having him on their show. No, they know I'm a Christian. I'm their brother. That I'm on their show, and we're fellowshipping here. And we come into a point where we got to put aside all our petty divisions and work together. Because what you see on those television screens, and what you really don't see, you got to go online. What's going on in certain places in the Middle East? Um, let me tell you something. Over there, and some of these radical Islamists, when they're rounding up Christians, they don't go and say, well, uh, what denomination are you? Oh, you're a Baptist? Okay, we'll leave you here, but we're just going to take the Pentecostal and the Catholics. No, 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 no. They round them all up. And they round them all up, and guess what? 
unless there's divine intervention, all heads are getting chopped off. And this is the season of time we're going into. And we have to realize that with this persecution, our little, our little petty nonsense as Christians, where, well, he's a Baptist, and I don't mess with Baptists because they don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Well, that one's a Pentecostal. They believe in all that Holy Ghost gift stuff. I ain't messing with him. Oh, that one's a Catholic. And, you know, she, she likes the Pope. Let me tell you something. If you got a Catholic friend, but they believe in the Word of God, and they believe Jesus Christ is their Savior... Guess what? You have a, a brother or sister in the Lord. If it's that, if they believe that, okay? I'm just telling you the way it is. We're coming to a point where all our petty nonsense, we gotta start separating. We have to start to stop it. We have to just unify, get more unity amongst each other. Even with, with some of the churches, I, I like to see some of the, the, the black pastors and the black churches invite more white pastors to their church. I want to see that. I want to see the more of the white churches um, invite more of the black pastors to their church. I want to. I want to see that. I'm look. I'm praying for that. I go. Me, brother, I'll go to anybody's church who invites me as long as the Lord clears me and says, yes, go. I'm going. I'm, I don't care what they look like. They could have, they could be Chinese. I don't care. As long as they're believers in Jesus Christ, they're my brother. They're my sister. And that's the day we're going into. This nonsense pettiness that, that's even amongst the churches. Uh, the Bible is very clear that judgment begins in the house of God. The Bible is very clear on that, and that's a scary thought because mm-hmm. he's going to clean up house with his own first before he cleans up America. He's working on us. And I'm starting to notice a trend of a lot of well-known pastors dropping dead and getting weird diseases and just dropping dead. And I'm seeing some judgment starting to happen in the house first. So we need to yeah. get our, our acts together. <laughs> And what's interesting about the church is, you know, and we see, we talked about the political divide in this country, and there's a, a racial divide, and, and these divisions continue to grow in the church. It's a whole different animal, because you, what you described as the denominational divides, then we have uh, even more uh, aggressive than that is the doctrinal divides. And that's one thing that I see, uh, we see here, you know, very commonly, is, you know, people not agreeing with theology, people not agreeing with uh, the way somebody else interprets the Bible, and, and that's understandable, but to the point where, uh, you know, they won't listen to them, they won't talk to them. It's almost like, uh, you know, they're they're being shunned. And and you, you alluded to the fact that you said that some things are going to happen here to, to wipe away those differences. And I think that's so important because, as you said, we need to realize, um, you know, who our Christian brothers and sisters are first. And if we can't fellowship with somebody just because they believe a certain way or they are a certain denomination that's a big problem that's a big red flag in our in our faith because we're not living and walking out our faith and it's sad to see the divisions in the church you know just because somebody doesn't see things the way you do even though you believe the same thing and it it it, it puts walls up between uh people and and the progress of of people uh being able to learn and expand their their knowledge of god yeah, and it's sad. I mean, I've I have a friend of a friend. Um, what happens? There's a road that comes. Uh, uh, there's Highway 985. It comes. It branches off of the I-85, leaving Atlanta. Because I'm in Atlanta a lot. And Atlanta, I'm in Western Carolina. Atlanta is literally 90 minutes away. 90 minutes drive away. So what happens? There's there's some people even locally who've seen prophetic events that's going to happen in the future. 
And this one young man, very mysterious one day, this young man came and he started going to all the churches along 985, which is connected to 441. It's a long road that leaves, leaves North Atlanta going into Western Carolina, North Georgia and Western Carolina. This young man would go to every church across that, on, off that road, and he would give the same warning. He would say, the Lord sent me here to warn you that of what's coming, and you need to prepare now and start putting away medical supplies and clothing and food for your brothers and sisters, because you're going to need it to help them in the future. And he's been to so many different churches doing this, and a lot of these, majority of these churches laughed at him and mocked him. And what's scary is that they don't understand God will use the most simple person to deliver a message. You can receive it or you cannot receive it. But what's going to happen when you got all, when the judgments start to hit this country and then that literally happens, it looks like the scene out of The Walking Dead or one of those TV shows where you got people just walking because of the utter destruction coming to your church for help. And you can't help them because you couldn't get over your denominational belief that, oh, well, I believe that we're going to be raptured before anything ever bad ever happens. Okay, brother. God bless you. If that's your belief, I'm not going to condemn you for your belief. But, however, isn't it a bit selfish that you could have had a few medical supplies and blankets put aside in the church? Um, so even though you're raptured, you're not here, it could at least be a blessing to the people that are here. But, I mean, maybe I'm looking at it wrong. You see, there's so many different people with their little, with our little schisms of what they believe. And I know you've heard them on your show. They're, you've got the pre-trip, post-trip, mid-trip. A wise man once told me, and I knew this man here from the Lord. This was my mentor, and he had supernatural experiences. This wise man once told me, he asked the Lord about it, and he said, Lord, what should I do? I, I don't know. Should I prepare? Should I do this? Should I do that? What should I do? And the Lord told him very gently, my son, just always be ready. And that's it. We as Christians need to always be ready for a Christ's return, number one. That's the most important thing. So if we're going to be ready for his return, obviously, spiritually, we got to be ready. That's the number one, that's the number one deal on the top. And then, you do what you can do in the natural realm. Do whatever you can do. Because everybody, we're, we're not, we're not all the same. We all have different talents. You know, some of us have money to get a bunker. Some of us don't. Some of us have money where we can store food for a thousand people. Some of us have a supernatural gift that we can pray over a bowl of rice and feed 5,000 people. There's some people I've actually met with that gift. Um, I have a friend of mine uh, in Africa, a pastor. He had to feed about 50 people, and he only had enough rice for five people. And he prayed over it, and somehow, some way, 50 people were fed. Now, if I don't know how to call that a miracle, I don't know what a miracle is. <laughs> That's exactly right, so. Pastor. Uh, not to interrupt you, we only got about a minute and a half left before uh, we're, we're uh, done with for the evening. I wanted to ask you, we've gotten uh, quite a few emails. Do you have an email that people, listeners, uh, can, can reach out to you? Uh, I'll tell you what, listeners, you can email me at... Food Survival Store, and that's Food F O O D Survival S U R V I V A L Store S T O R E at gmail dot com. Email me there if you you want to 
uh, ask me questions, chit chat, whatever. Um, I, I don't know all the answers. I only know a little bit. I'm not a know it all. God's still dealing with me. I'm on my journey just like you. So you might ask me something, and I'll be honest. If I don't know, I'll tell you I don't know. The Lord hasn't revealed it to me. And there might be something I do know. So, you know, you, you always, uh, as a word of caution, be careful of a, of some Christian who thinks they know all the answers. Because when you run into a Christian who thinks he knows it all and has it all figured out, I can pretty much assure you he's going to be wrong somewhere on the down the line. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, Pastor Keith Iden, thank you so much for your gift of time and, and the wonderful blessings that you shared uh, in the time you were with us. We hope we can we can bring you back in the future. And uh, you know, I, I from my inbox, I can tell you, you're going to be getting uh, definitely a few uplifting and thankful emails. Uh, Want to thank you again so much for for joining us tonight. Well, I really appreciate it, and anybody who wants to support my book, I would really appreciate it. You can find it on Amazon, The Prepper and the Preacher, A Spiritual Survival Guide. And thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been fun, and I I imagine we'll get a chance to talk here in the future, and we'll do this again. God bless you, Pastor. You you stay safe, and and we'll talk soon. God bless you, brother. Bye-bye. All right, that'll do it for us tonight. I want to thank Stephen Menking. I want to thank Pastor Keith Iden. Uh, it was a great show. Until tomorrow, stay safe. God bless. Have a good evening.